Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. Dope, That's huh? So good. That was good. So good, man. You know, oh you know how I did it? You know how I did it? I just created a playlist of those four groups. Well, I knew, I knew it was going to be Frontier psycho- uh, Psychiatrist would, be, would end it. So I got my favorite Bonob- Bonobo album, my favorite Fortet albums, and my favorite... What was the other one? RJD2. Oh, uh, uh, RJD2. Two and... I knew like the two or three on each. I considered Lebanese Blonde as well by Thievery Corporation, but ah. I didn't need it because Frontier Psychiatrist is so hilarious and brilliant. People out there, maybe we'll just casually walk into the podcast. If people out there, if you're listening to this, you've got to listen to the Avalanches album since I left. I le- what's it called? Since I left you. It's one of the most since brilliant albums yeah. ever created. Dude, listening to that intro just makes me remember. Are we on? Are we yeah, let's, sure. let's let's record. Let's Great. just go. Yeah, that's how that's how they do it on Nerdist. So let's do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, listening to that intro just makes me remember how much joy I got from sitting with my boys in a room listening to music. Yeah, like yeah. I think that today that just- makes me even more insanely happy for being a, at least a partial cause of some of this music to Dude, uh, our friends. Just like listening to the, like, I mean, I mean, incredible joy. You know, people talk about like spirituality or mysticism or awe. Of course, we're like, going to talk Star Wars later. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's happening. Of, of course we are, dude. Um, yeah. But I absolutely love just listening to music. Yeah. And that was that was like the that was like the, so, the heyday okay. the heyday of getting stoned. Okay. Listening to the full album. This is the other yeah. thing, Bizzle. Yeah. Uh, and this is um this is like uh, with you know, Andreas. I'm, just a person. I'm just no last one podcast to with full Andreas. albums anymore, man. No, I was full about that. Album. Well the the iPad the I the um the iPod killed it. It was obvious from the beginning. It. Yeah. It was obvious from the beginning. Um but and still back in college, man, we used to put on Theory Corporation, like the whole album. That right? came from you guys. I mean, Richest, Fortet. Richest Man in Babylon. No, I was, I was going to say, I, I will Fortet, give, I will give credit where RG2. credit is due. I, I was behind Bonobo, Fortet, and definitely RJD2. Uh, but you guys are on thievery and a bunch of other like chill stuff, but also rock stuff that I, I hadn't really been exposed to, even if I had heard of it before. Um, wow, no, the one that you I will never forget you giving bring into my life is the cinematic or the cinematic orchestra. Does, when I saw Gotan Project in Cin- ever. when I saw Gotan Project and Cinematic do back to back in Montreal at the Good. Metropolis to you know. Uh, 
I don't know, fifteen hundred standing dancing North Americans of all sort from around the world, kids basically. You know, we were just there for the summer. I mean, those bands go ton. And then remember Frederick Obele, who came from Thievery Corporation, of is like the Fred, chillest, Fred, sexiest Fred music. Obele, yeah. Is that oh, is that is that sex music? I mean, uh, it's on my makeout mix. That's, yeah, okay. I was gonna say that seems like I, I've never tapped into that, but that's that seems like a great candidate. So, um, all right. Well, we did the soft intro, which I think needed to happen. Everybody, Bizzlecast, welcome back. I know I haven't been putting out a lot of podcasts recently, especially considering how insane the rest of the year was in sort of output. But uh, I was bordering on getting burnt out, and I've been working on other projects. But I am here, but trying to get you guys commentaries. I brought you my buddy Kevin Haas from college who we've been trying to get on for a long time had an amazing political discussion Pizzlecast 201 Pizzlecast 200 Smiley I'm sure you will be shocked was Rogue One related because it was the celebration of the Cassian Andor prequel to Rogue One where Diego Luna is going to literally be going around capping motherfuckers because that's what he's doing at the beginning of rogue one before he becomes a good guy he's he's murdering people for the alliance it's fantastic um Dude, diego luna man he's in uh, season four of narcos, narcos. I, I don't i don't you don't really watch narcos, no but i've you, heard but it's great so i've heard season four is amazing i haven't watched it yet so guys so smiley has been you were on a little over a year ago smiles uh adam smiley poswalski a little uh, over a year ago with with andreas i believe it was august of 2017 I had a blast. Uh, you and I mostly tried to get Andreas to do the talking. Once he did, it was like it was it was amazing. You know what I mean? Like just to, it, bringing our friends on this platform is so fun. Uh, you know what I mean? Especially uh, I don't know. Like like I always know where our podcasts are going, but we'll see on this one. I have some curveballs for you on, on this one. <laughs> I'm Smiley Puzwalski, speaker author thinker which i think is the most important thing um but maybe we'll get back to the platonic ideal uh, later um because i have ideas in that direction about what you're doing as well buddy you're associated with millennials in terms of i'm going to just call it educating because that's what it is um as far as what education is supposed to be uh, communicating a little bit of a younger audience um, Smiley, so just to reintroduce yourself, you were on two years ago, I think you were on three years ago in those you know, first few months, um, uh, just to reintroduce yourself in, in, in where you're at, do you see yourself, this is a totally non-ironic question, um, and I don't know what your answer is going to be, do you see yourself at any level as an educator in what you're doing at this point, or is it pr- more primarily about being an artist and a communicator? Great question. First of all, it's great to be back on the Bizzle Yeah, baby, love you. <laughs> um, my all-time favorite podcast. N- <laughs> not just saying that, it's true. Mm. Um, but uh, I, I think I think educator is a great word. I think that if you know all the work I've done, um, in my most recent um, my most recent career move, you know, last five or six years or so since I left politics. Um, has been pretty related to helping people navigate their lives in some regard, right? Whether it's career choices, uh, helping people figure out how to write books or get speaking gigs. I'd hire or, you full time, but I can't afford you. <laughs> <laughs> but to put their voice out there somehow, it's education. Yeah, it's helping people navigate the world, which actually a lot of things are these days. I think, you know, people always talk about education shifting and education's mm-hmm. dead and yep. higher ed is dead. I think it's just taken on different forms. I mm-hmm. think most podcasts are actually a form of education. Mm-hmm. Um, books are a form of education. And, speaking, while book sales workshops. Are con- and while book sales continue to plummet, 
podcasting apparently is growing exponentially, um, which is great, but also frustrating because I'll get all this momentum and then I pull the full, put the, pull the foot off the gas for a short amount of time and it's like wiped out. Um, yeah. And, you know, when I put out a good podcast, I get way more hits in like the, the 24 hour period than I used to when I dropped just like a daredevil commentary or something. But dude, do you know what gross, the most average views in terms of a series of podcasts was me re-releasing my 2015 Jessica Jones season one podcast. I re-released them on the main Bizzlecast channel for the first time. And almost 100 people listened to all 13 of those. And those are the only ones I know. Listen to the entire series. That's 1,300 listens for Jessica Jones' commentary. And so I thought, because you've been on before, we have so much to get updated on on your book. My God, let's get the book update first. And then I'm going to throw you a few relevant pop culture questions to get the sort of bigger discussion going. And then we'll see where it goes. Does that sound okay? Sounds good, buddy. All right. So you are now the writer of about 2.37 books, 2.97 books. Um, um, How would you categorize your bibliography thus far and tell the people a little bit about what was um, so different about the new book? Because it was different, although it was still very you, obviously. Yeah. So I've written, uh, you know, Three actual books, but technically two because I wrote two versions of my first book. I self-published my first book in 2014, uh, The Quarter-Life Breakthrough, uh, kind of a career guide. I'm still going to give you a full one for that one. (laughs) (laughs) Career guide for millennials. um, And it sold really well on Amazon and that ended ended up um, leading to me getting a book deal to re-release it, basically, which rarely happens, actually although it's actually becoming uh, more common. I advise a lot of authors to self-publish first. Leaving um, money on the table, not doing an audiobook, buddy. I can't even begin to tell you. <laughs> I did do an audiobook. So then I so then I came out with a second version of the Quarter Life Breakthrough with Penguin, and they and I did do an audiobook with that one. Uh, and then I self-published my most recent book in 2000, September 2000 of this year, 2018, uh, The Breakthrough Speaker, which is a really kind of a different book. It's a very practical, technical guide for people that want to build a speaking career, public speaking career and make money from public speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, as I kind of was just getting hit up with all these questions and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to put this all into a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's being received really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely more of a niche audience, right? Before mm-hmm. I was like writing a book that was pretty much relevant to anyone in their twenties and thirties, but this book is a much more specific, mm-hmm. um, niche uh, so it hasn't sold as many copies as my first book, but um, it's being received really well. And I'm hoping that it becomes kind of a slow burn that people um, come to for years and years and that maybe it'll get picked up by a publisher down the line. I just, we'll you know, I'm a, I'm a serial audiobook listener. Um, I listen to hours a day if I can, even if it's just in the background. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be listening to this like amazing fantasy, uh, you know, t- a trilogy or something that's as good or better than Game of Thrones, whatever, and it has like five thousand reviews with a four point six out of five. And then I go to the Kindle page for it, and it's like seven hundred reviews. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, because you know, there's there's a, a, a number of both male and female British as well as American readers who are brilliant and do a lot of them. And some of these books just lend themselves so well to it. I think you would definitely sh- could, should, and must do your own. 
but if you do write fiction, you must get someone to do an audiobook because audiobook fiction is selling cr- like crazy right now. Um, I- I'm wondering what your your as an author your um, I, oh, these questions are all going to be tangential to get started. Uh, your experience with audiobook decision not to do it. What do you think about them personally? Um, it, that you know that sort of thing. I don't even know how it works. Like you know, like how much editing is done. I, I, it's, it, it seems like a crazy industry to me. Yeah. So basically what happens is that, you know, for the last one I did, um, I got, I got to read my own book. Many, 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 in, in many cases, the publisher will actually tell the author we've hired a voiceover artist, um, or someone that does audiobooks to do your audiobook, and you don't really have a choice. It depends on your it was, contract. It was like nine point five out of ten production, too, buddy. I got to tell you, I love yeah, listening no, so to audiobooks. So I went audiobook. to uh, yeah. thanks, buddy. I went to a, uh, a Broadway uh, Broadway Studios. I believe it's on Telegraph Avenue in Oakland, California. Really professional setup. I mean, this guy's done you know big albums. Um, you know, they're used to doing you know they they do music recording. You know, just like you do in the studio with used to do in the studio with Modiba. Um, and you go in and I did it. Wait, sorry, days. I got stop. I got stop. You mentioned Modiba just announced <laughs> in the last 24 hours. Our guy oh. Bombino nominated for a Grammy, baby. Grammy, dude, I saw that on Herman, Eric Herman. Shout out Eric Herman. Fizzle. Did you see my, uh, did you see my response where he was like, Eric was like, you know, we're up against some tough competition this year. We're honored. And my response on Facebook was be a bunch of pushovers, dude. <laughs> it's like Shay and Kuti is like fellas, sons, like really heavy hitters. I'm like, I have a bunch of pushovers. We got this. <laughs> I think, but I think Bambino should win that. Um, I saw Bambino actually. Uh, Except I, think Eric, I can point years, to at least two ago. Via albums that I think are more Grammy worthy, but that's another decision. I love Bambino. I'm so happy for him and everybody. I mean, the, yeah, the he real, must be so stoked. Well, well, the more, you know, I mean, this isn't that unpredictable to, that he would get nominated. The unpredictable thing is how that sort of grassroots hipster mixed with hippie, like very Wesleyan type crowd followed Bambino from the beginning, bought the vinyls. You know, they print vinyl for all his albums, like thousands of copies of them. Um, it's a young crowd. It's a jam crowd. It's it's amazing to see. And I saw him for, you know, my fourth or sixth time uh, a few months back in Philly. And for the first time, I was just completely floored. Like, I, I was like, you are on another level. I could see you on like a main Bonnaroo stage or something. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And uh, this ties back to the beginning, of course, of how much we connected on music and the chain of us giving music. And I talked about Kevin, Hedy Haas giving me Fella. And, you know, and I still remember that CD. I, I'm sure I have it stored away somewhere. It was such a big thing. Um Smiley, you're a speaker. You've been speaking all around the world. Um, I actually do have some pithy and fun and funny pop culture stuff to start with, but I do. I, I would be remiss if I, if I don't at least mention up at the beginning, and then we're going to circle back to this for the main section about the different types of places you've been traveling geographically, but I think also different audiences as well. Yeah, so, um, well, even in the last few months, actually, I was in... Uh uh, Europe. I was in uh, Berlin and Madrid. I was in um, the Philippines, in Manila. Thrill in Manila. Uh, have, so that was fun um, to talk Creed to. Creed uh, great movie. Go see it, guys. 
Um, I haven't seen Creed 2 yet, but it's a lot of It's, it's the most predictable thing ever. So don't go in caring about plot. Just listen to the dialogue and but watch the getting, character's interaction. It's, making, it's amazing. Sure is making a lot of money. Yeah, it's doing really well. I can't Dude, wait to Tessa see Tessa Thompson I mean, t- take, pull, t- pull, <laughs> pulls it up to 11. Michael B. Jordan, he's always at 11 out of 10, you know? But Tessa Michael Thompson. Michael B. Jordan is amazing. Look, what I think career. Tessa should have been nominated the first one. She should definitely be nominated for this. It's not going to happen, but her... Uh, I, I don't even want to ruin it, man. Tessa almost single-handedly steals the movie in a way you never see coming. Um, but uh, I, I do want to talk film with you. But you've been talking all over the place. So why the international tour now? Um, is it people reaching out to you? Um, and are, are things changing so fast in the world and for you that you can look back on the book you published just a few months ago and be like, my approach has already changed and it continues to change more? Yeah, great question. I think my approach is cha- like shifting by the minute. But I will say this. I think, yeah, the more you know, my stuff gets out there, the more I get these kind of opportunities. Um, and I've realized that, you know, while there's differences in cultures, obviously there's cultural differences. I was speaking in Manila to a room full of management consultants from Deloitte. The younger you over, get, the fewer differences. But yeah. But all over Southeast Asia, but they're still kind of struggling with the same stuff with mm. millennials and the intergenerational stuff and how younger and older people can work the together. Teenager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's interesting. The more I travel, the more I feel like, wow, we're all kind of talking about the same shit. Um, obviously, the context is always different and every, you know, every place has di- their own, you know, to, to use the Yiddish word, Mishigas. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> But I think the bigger picture, everyone is kind of talking about this, you know, everyone is struggling with similar things and everyone is trying to figure out, you know, how to stay sane in the technological world we live in and, you know, how to how to fight loneliness, how to have empathy for each other, how to work together, um, you know, what the future of work looks like with AI and computers and all kinds of stuff. So um, but it's been cool, man. I I think that for me, I got the biggest challenge for me as a creative is to not get too complacent. Um, the speaking circuit can kind of start to feel a little bit like you're just kind of a wind-up toy, you know, where you're kind of like, all right, come on. I, I actually imagine like many uh, musicians or comedians feel this way where you're like, all right, give us the act. Like, come on, we want the good stuff. Um, so you kind of always have to be making sure that you're writing new material and trying new things and, um, I'm at the point now where I'm like, Which, okay, I've been- wait, if we just pause for a second, guys out there to write new material for like comedy, the best comedians will go a year or to two years or more sometimes for a major show because of how hard it is to get good material. Now for what you two do, two to three years at yeah. least. Yeah. For what you do, you can add and subtract lines here and there with each speech, you know, and, 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 yeah, and improv exactly. it. But Chris Rock ain't improv on stage, people. I'll tell you that much. Every movement, every delivery, and how it's delivered, a guy like Chris Rock is a thousand percent practiced over many months and written many years. So Fizzle, he, did you? Yeah, go ahead. Did you see the um, tangent but related? Um, yeah. Did you see Jerry before Seinfeld? Yes, on Netflix? of course. I'm gonna watch rewatch it again. Yeah, it I was love, so good. I, I love mean, it. It, I mean, it's, it's he's the it's best. A, it's a, he's the smartest a, guy on the planet. I'm convinced. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think like. A lot of times Jerry got like shit for kind of like, oh, it was Larry, Larry David's genius. And no one believed that the Larry David's the first person to say that that's if anything, Jerry Jerry carried way more weight. He worked so hard. And that the best thing about that is it just shows his process of like he would try out these joke after joke after joke. 
And it's like the joke 20 years later was on Seinfeld. You I can know? tell you that even though one of his jokes, so it's like even though he had two jobs as a co-executive producer and showrunner with Larry David and the lead actor, I bet you, Smiley, in the later years especially, he didn't take much more money than Larry David, even though he was working harder and had more responsibility. I bet you, just knowing their relationship. That's the thing yeah. with Jerry. This is his Buddhist thing. Money comes to him because he doesn't seek it out. It's like the Tao of Steve going after women, right? Don't try and they come to you. Seinfeld, he just has this way of like floating through the world, but he claims he's antisocial and he hates people, but when he talks to them, he's unbelievably empathetic and, and, and insightful and I don't know, like comedians and cars getting coffee, you, you can't fix that because you've got sarah silverman so there's no way of making that not real you know what i mean i don't yeah, know i love that show i mean i think some are better than others but i just oh, think yeah. it, I, I i have so much i think it's just such a brilliant Kate McKinnon, idea amazing I, one of the yeah. coolest I, I was so uncomfortable the first time i watched it i had to like watch it in two parts and then i rewatched it and i'm like this is brilliant like her and sarah silverman those episodes are the cuz the the younger women that looked up to him and julia louis and so forth on seinfeld as they were getting started um jerry's the i mean in a world of all the horrible sexual predators of which he's talked openly with you know alec baldwin and his guests and stuff which is very gutsy to talk about the wine scenes of course they hate all the sleazeballs so it makes it a little bit easier you know but uh it, it is so funny like i didn't actually know kate mckinnon uh was gay but as soon as they started interacting that episode i'm like oh yeah absolutely i'm like jerry's the beard whatever you know or, or she's like is he's just such a natural way in the old guys is the other ones that are hilarious the younger women and the old men the old old uh, old timer shanling mel brooks those guys uh, i find like uh, like watching philosophy man i really do letterman i feel that way too i don't know some of these howard stern i i, I mean the, the the line between philosophy and in great comedy is almost non-existent to me and as a speaker, I'm wondering, do you have to resist the temptation to philosophize sometimes, just not out of like being cocky, but just your, your headspace is headed something like uber deep and you have to like rein yourself in? Like, how do you deal with a situation like that? Because comedians just say it. They don't give a fuck. Yeah, well, my stuff, you got to be a little bit careful. I mean, I'm getting brought in by a company and paid money to speak on behalf of the company. I don't mean radical. I don't mean radical. I just but, mean mine expanding to a degree that they might not expect. Nothing crazy, you know. Just yeah. I think I think for me, I like slowly bring in new ideas to the talks. I like the place I experiment most with new materials in the Q and A. Mm -hmm. Actually, of like what when people ask a question, I'm be like, oh, I'm gonna just take it in this direction, or I'm going to, you know, what I'm saying. Um, when I have my actual talk, my keynote, it's pretty dialed in and I kind of know where I'm going, mm -hmm. um, more or less. Um, but then, uh, you know, every talk is different and I learn something new every time. And I think it's exciting. I mean, I think the cool thing about speaking is that it's live. Yeah. This was, my, this was my question. This was going to be my last question. I want to spin the pop culture, which you just completely set me up perfectly, uh, which is it's the musicians thing. So, I have like two, three, four quick hit questions uh, directly on this topic, and then we'll move into some pop culture for a while. Does that sound okay? Sounds good. Okay. How many minutes does it take on the average audience for you to get a, like a serious vibe of what it's like, even if they're not talking? 
Like just from being in the room? Like you get up on the stage, you can kind of see the crowd, you start talking. Uh, how often, do, how, how long at this point with all of the speaking you've done, does it take to get a vibe or is it completely variant? I kind of know if the, like it's going to be a good vibe in the talk before I've even gotten on stage. I know if that sounds a little bit If your bit jokes crazy, don't but... hit, is that like a sign? Well, like, yeah, it's like if the jokes don't hit, I can just like kind of tell walking into a room. Like, first of all, I love speaking in front of a room that's pa- like full, yeah. huge. The worst thing, like my least favorite talks are like 15 to 20 people or something like that because it's mm-hmm. like there's some holes in the audience. You just go outside, go sit people. on the grass, yeah. You know, it's like you don't really have a full room, but once it's over 50, 100 people, like, frankly, you can't really like make like you just are like looking into a sea of lights anyway. Mm -hmm. I love that because then you just feel like the energy is packed. It gets really difficult when it's like 12 people. And and, then I've done talks where I'm, you know, and, and it's hard and it's like. And I think sometimes people are really into it. It's just there's only 12 people in the room. So yeah, that's just what it totally. is. Um, but yeah, I kind of know at this point, like before I go on stage, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great talk or oh, this could be a little bit tricky. Okay, so you led again perfectly into my next question, which was what is your perfect size audience? Also take into account the size of the room along with the number of people, if that makes sense. Oh, uh, my perfect size audience. Like, is think like of the perfect four- theater you've performed at, and like, how many? Yeah, people is I that? love like a good like five hundred person. Five hundred. Okay. Yeah, because it's like you circular, know, I, I mean, I've done like a concert hall kind of thing, like circular. Yeah, or or like just like yeah, like a really nice kind of um, you know, event hall venue where mm-hmm. it's like you know everyone can see and they have multiple uh, projectors or or uh, flat screens for the slides and it's awesome. Sound, sounds great. The light, the like. The lighting is good. There's a you know AV team and mm-hmm. um, okay. The least the next question, which I know the answer to, but I, I we we have to represent Mac or PC. <laughs> <laughs> I did not think you were gonna ask that. I'm Mac, dude. I'm Mac. looking right here. I got a MacBook Pro. I got my fucking iPhone XR. I if got- you hate on Macs, you're just because you're jealous or something. I don't know what it is. I get a PCs though. You know what? I like. I, get I own it. a like, PC. I, I own two now I, because my former student gave me his gaming rig for free, and I'm not even using it. But this really powerful PC sitting here. But I do everything on my Mac. I think the Microsoft Surface is one of like the dopest. Uh, it's great. They're doing great one construction. One of the dopest computers. Um, Dude, Windows 10. Just like is, the affordability, yeah. the affordability of that type of computer and what it can do, and yeah. that it probably is good for like yeah. seven ninety percent of the population. Yeah. For what is it? For what is it? Three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks is is fucking incredible. I, you know, I, I I went through a phase of of watching months uh, earlier in the year of, of gaming streamers that I was following for various reasons, and they would go hours with no apparent cuts on Windows ten PCs uh, streaming. You know, to millions of people or whatever. Uh, PCs are are so much better these days. The the problem is, as an independent contractor, Macs just come with more and offer more right off the bat. And there's so many great little apps like the one I sent you day one. But there's even others, you know, that people like writing tools. I mean, dude, have you seen the iPad Pro, the 13 inch one? Use the stylus with it's so gorgeous. I've never seen so, anything so beautiful in my life. Do you that, have one of those? Screen. No, I don't. I I have my dad's old iPad. I don't use it. My I got my iPhone and 
my MacBook Pro. I just, I love, I mean, I, 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 this whole podcast is done with a bunch of wires connected to a bunch of hubs connected to a tiny little MacBook, which is <laughs> pumping out an insane amount of, of power. So yeah, me and Smiley are both Mac people. So, okay, buddy. Uh, one more question and, and then I'm going to tie this, this all in together, which was, um, let's say in the last, did you take off in the last year? Did you take off a, a significant amount of time at any point? Um, I took a little bit of, yeah, I took some time with, uh, I took like a kind of family vacation in, uh, around July How 4th. long are we talking like off the speaking circuit at once? The longest in, in the last year? A couple, two weeks maybe. Okay. So basically not. Okay. So in the last year, because it's end of the year, happy Hanukkah, buddy. It's at night eight. Yeah, I forgot to say. Night. Yeah. Happy Hanukkah and Merry Christmas happy and Hanukkah. to everyone's ho- uh, holidays out there. But the Bizzlecast listeners know well, uh, three things, Smiley. They know I'm Jewish. They know I'm redheaded and they know I love Felicity Jones. Those three things are clear <laughs> to all Bizzlecast listeners. <laughs> That's all we know so far. Yes. And Jen or so is my wife and we're about to get there. But, um, uh, what in the last year that you can remember? What was your favorite speaking engagement? And when I say engagement, I mean the entire experience, not just the speech itself. Uh, if that even makes a, a difference in the last year, or or just one that stands uh, out to you as being awesome? No, that's a good question. Um, all right, I'll give you two. I think that most yeah. recently, I I was just a TED. Um, Ted in New York city, the Ted headquarters, like the Ted. Yep. Um, I had done a TEDx talk before I've actually done two TEDx talks. Um, and to just walk into that building and I, I was giving like a talk to the Ted residents, which is a program they have for people mm. that are kind of speakers that are kind of up and coming speakers that are working on a cool project. They go to the Ted offices for, uh, four months and they work on their talk and they work on their business and kind of get feedback and are part of this kind of like an incubator right. program. Um, so to, I was speaking to them about the business of public speaking, uh, how to, how to make more money from public speaking, how to kind of market yourself as a speaker and build your career. So that was just really cool for me because it was kind of like being at the, you know, it was like walking into the hall of fame, you know, it's, it's like, it's, hmm. it was like going to, you know, Disney studios or something, right? The, the belly of the beast or like walking into like, Oh, these people are, they're in charge. You know, they know what they're doing. They built Ted, they built so many speakers careers. So that just for me was a powerful spiritual experience of walking into a place where, um, it just kind of felt like a milestone. Hmm. Um, it was just really important for me to kind of be like, wow, I'm um, I'm in this building and I'm kind of seeing how they work and just meeting these people. So that was really cool in terms of just a cool, yeah. Another event. Um, I mean, being in the Philippines is really awesome. Um, anytime I do the international stuff, I, I kind of step back. I'm like, am I really speaking in another country? That's pretty sick. Uh, so maybe I'll, I'll say that one. The Manila one was pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, I think overall the experience at TED was would have to be the best. 
Okay, so we're going to head to the second act and the third and final act. I want to talk TED Talk, recent stuff, and get into a couple heady questions about the book, and then we'll end with something fun. But Smiley, we've had you on a bunch, and so we got to talk some BizzleCast topics. It has to happen, especially <laughs> because when I talked to you recently, you volunteered the following information. Bizzle, I finally saw Avengers Infinity War, which, side note, most people think is one of the best, if not the best, Marvel movies of all time and made an insane amount of money. And back to you, Bizzle, I saw Solo, a Star Wars story, and I much, I like Star Wars, <laughs> Solo, Star Wars story a lot better. And I said, me too. Obviously, you knew that the answer was going to be on that. But, and yet, I thought in, Solo was fantastic, by the way. Three and, and a half times fewer play. money, less money than Avengers, and three and a half times less money than Black Panther. Jurassic World crushed it. Incredible 2 crushed it. Even Deadpool 2 beat it out handily. It even lost to Ant-Man and the Wasp, which was so corny and stupid. Sorry, Paul Rudd. Solo Star Wars Story 9, smiley. But, you know, we, we you don't c- communicate that much on Facebook. But I was saying in the beginning of the year, they were going to make some huge announcements at Disney about Star Wars going to change everything and since that moment first of all solos almost impossible to get on dvd and blu-ray uh it was extremely uh for like the first month or two afterwards and the, it's like the most watch on demand movie at the moment uh but way more important than that they announced three big time shows like the crown and game of thrones level shows both in terms of budget and epicness all for adults essentially uh, not only part of the disney streaming channel that's coming out next year but they're highlighting the Star Wars stuff way more than the Marvel stuff, even though Marvel is making twice as much money in the box office and is way less controversial politically, which is another topic. They are launching this new giant streaming service mostly around adult shows uh, for Star Wars, including the Cassie Anders show and including the buddy John Favreau has basically his own show and is doing a whole uh, series about the Mandalorians. It's like Boba Fett's you know, armor, like those people, very warlike medieval people but in the time of the original trilogy i mean they're giving us what we want kathleen kennedy went from everyone calling for her head not me uh to being promoted and awarded uh, an oscar and, and given an indefinite contract she might end up running disney in a few years is possible um i want to ask you as specifically you as not a giant star wars nerd and not a giant nerd in general in this sort of thing talk about that solo st- uh uh uh, excuse me, solo a Star Wars story, but in general, uh, do, from what you understand and have heard from me and other people, do you agree that Star Wars, I think, has more longevity than Marvel, even as a property on screen, even if Marvel is making more money right now? You can talk about any of those things. Thoughts go. Yeah, the reason Star Wars, I think the biggest thing with this, the comeback is that Star Wars is the perfect story for today, right? I think it's the the, the times. I think Marvel, you know, it's, you know, I guess it's kind of evergreen, but it doesn't like actually speak to the universe today. I think Star Wars in terms of rebellion, uh, in terms of um, uh, kind of the tradition of the Jedi, um, the history more. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think is like a throwback that is so relevant. It's kids like, love Star Wars too, even if they don't know what's going on. Star they love Wars Star Wars too, and it's like we're growing up in this world where it's kind of like was the future, and now it is the future. If that, if that makes some sense, you know, when it came out, it was the future, and now it's kind of like the future again. But even though 
Star Wars, Star Wars was invented in, yeah. in you know, in, is, is an old school property. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's kind of the perfect, the perfect kind of theme and, and story for 2018 and for the world we live in. Um, I like, you know what I'm saying? I, I think like the comeback. Which is really happened, interesting because Rogue One happened, was like, already there in ago. 2016. And now Rogue One has gone from the middle to bottom on a lot of people's list to the top, both nerds and non-nerds, because they're looking back and going, okay, A, this has the best cast. B, this was the best acted and written Star Wars movie ever. And C, it was very politically prophetic. I'm trying to do less back padding, man, with all my correct predictions on the Bizzle cast. But if you go back to my Rogue One podcast, it was right after Trump was elected and right after Carrie Fisher died. And I got on the podcast and I said, guys, these two events are going to reverberate the next couple of years, specifically the Trump election. And Rogue One is talking about it and people will appreciate it. And I'm so glad that they are appreciating it more. And dude, Lucas has been running these themes from the beginning, which is why, you know, the ultimate Trumper anti SJW people hate fucking Star Wars. They claim they like the original trilogy, but it's not even true. You know, it's just to, you know, it's just to mess with like the rest of the fan base. And so there's no more controversial fan base on the surface than Star Wars, but it's also extremely family friendly and one of the few properties that you can say that all ages and all types of people will will watch together. There's not that many properties like that, right? Yeah, it's it brings people together. I mean, if you don't like Star Wars, then I don't really know what to say. But um, yeah, I, I think that uh, yeah, I I told you when I saw Rogue One for a second time, I was like, I, it was like the the most of any time any movie where I'd seen this this watch it a second time where it was I was that floored by it. Well, that's not that not the most ever, but most of any of the Star Wars movies, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Like again, Scott was like it was like. The, in, the the curve of, of viewing it from first to second time is like, oh my god, this movie's got a lot. There's got more, way more going on when I than when I first saw it. You know, um, I'm excited to see Solo for a second time. I only I've only seen it once. I thought Solo was so good. So <laughs> I, this I think is, my expectations okay. were really low for yeah. Solo. Yeah. Um, which is yeah. actually great because I, I just kind of felt that like it was an offshoot. No Harrison Ford. Yeah. You know, you're. Uh, recycled like kind of like uh oh, do i really care about this story um Alden but then was but it was so f- yeah. so fun it was yeah. like a road movie and uh, and donald glover woody yeah. harrelson and woody harrelson i mean he's just like he never see he, his still, career just like he just like amazing he's so amazing yeah and donald glover anything that anything with donald glover in like a a role i don't know i think that dude is is like we're, I think we have no idea what's in store for us with Donald Glover in the next fifteen years. That dude is capable of anything. He's one of the most talented humans on the planet. So, dude. Um. So, and I rewatched. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I rewatched. Um. What's it called? Um. Empire. Martian. The Martian. Oh, it's so talk, talk about a feel good upbeat humanity movie. That movie's amazing. Amazing. Kate Mara, marry me, please. Oh my God, Glover's role in that is like he's, I mean, was that his first feature film? Yeah, he's I, I I I was floored. I kind of knew who he was at the time. I did my Martian and Creed commentaries, and when they came out at the end of 2015, early 2016, those two movies are two of the my favorite ever. They came out back to back. Martian, he floored me. 
when he there at the pr- project Elrond, the Lord of the Rings references, and flying the spaceship around. I mean, just that movie to me is sheer perfection. And most people won't say it because it's not dark or scary or particularly deep or whatever. But to me, that is that that was worthy of an Oscar <laughs> nod at least for. Uh, fucking ridley scott who's still never won an oscar but that's another story but yeah dude really but okay but here's the problem the problem is rogue one we knew it was gonna be about the death star we knew that vader was going to be in it a little bit we didn't know much but otherwise you know Jin, cassian k2 the chinese guys i mean riz ahmed all completely new characters made three times as much money almost as, as solo which had han solo chewy and lando albeit different actors or whatever um and the only way to explain that giant drop off from even the last jedi which was so controversial still made 1.3 1.4 billion dollars is that the only people who went to solo were people who weren't angry about the last jedi and were still interested in seeing a star wars movie five months later in a terribly timed i don't know if they released it now it would do amazingly i think um but do you have any when's th- the next one when is the next one coming out not till a next. year from now 20 uh Plus, christmas. So they skipped yep. they skipped this yeah. christmas they, i think they wanted the extra long build up to episode nine and dude this is what i wanted to ask you which is so you know these events i'm talking about the you know the the the, the, the surprise announcement of some huge sh- uh shows either continuing p- previous shows that are hits or you know things like the mandalorian with john favreau that got people super pumped uh, they also announced that they're scanning way back on movie releases which i think is smart every two years for star wars but picking up tv releases big time and since then we've had the clone wars coming back we had uh the john favreau series um which we know uh lucas is directing an episode we know taika waititi's directing an episode a couple of the that's gonna be amazing uh one of the main jessica jones writers is directing one or two episodes Uh, dave filoni who does the amazing star wars animated television shows is doing at least one of the episodes I'm sure Favreau will, um, uh, you know, um, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very impressive. The money is, is definitely there. I always said that Star Wars would always succeed because it starts as a movie first and just as great as a movie, but they seem to be migrating to television with no end to the two to three Marvel movies here in sight, and yet they're pulling back on Star Wars less than one a year, and the Marvel series they've announced, while cool, are getting nowhere near as much attention as, as the Star Wars ones. And it's not just because of Star Wars, it's just because that is what Disney is highlighting on television. What do you think as a child of the early 80s and mid 80s like me who grew up in the VHS copies of the original trilogy that it would move to- uh, towards television, including Game of Thrones guys, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who they're saying they're doing movies, but I still think it could end up on television if they do a Game of Thrones, uh, Star Wars type thing. Um, what was your feeling as, you know, a sort of an outside fan of, of Star Wars that we're going to be seeing a lot more of it on television? television and, and probably less on the big screen at least in the near future look i think we're in the gold the, we're in the golden era of television you're right I think te- you're te- right te- television is, damn is, it you're right <laughs> i mean it I just is it, i mean you're right i look like cinema you know me i'm an i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a movie guy i'm a i'm a film major i love cinema cinema always there's nothing oh, like you going got me into movies. movies you and joe wilson were the two most important people getting me into movies there, in high school and college nothing nothing like going and watching a movie on 35 millimeter film sitting in the theater widescreen the real sound quality you have to be there you're not on your fucking phone you're not also multitasking you can't 
go to the bathroom. You have, if you go to the bathroom, you're going to miss it. Like that is movies. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the experience, right? Mm -hmm. That's been the same since, you know, the, the golden era, like since the beginning of Hollywood, I think that's a beautiful thing. I love that the box office, you know, people are still going to see movies. Um, I think that that's incredible. And we have to look at just in terms of if you're making content, if you're throwing money towards content and you got to go where people are and where are they? They're in their living rooms. Yep. They're on their phones. Yep. Uh, and they've got these great TVs and they want to watch it when they want to watch it. Right. You know, they want to be able to binge three shows. I don't want to wait till next week. I don't want to pay for fucking cable. Yep. Uh, By the so way, the- that was a major reason attributed to some of Solo's lack of success was the final prints were really muddy on most of the shitty ass screens in America. But you watch it on like any type of good screen of any size it, because it is filmed darkly. It looks amazing. But, it is dark. Yeah. But it's on a, a lot movie. of screens, man. And dude, Disney people, you know, people have this big brother thing about Disney. Like Disney's so evil compared to all of these other corporations. I, I could not. I think Disney is, is one of the least evil corporations out there considering how much money they have because they have to be public that's why everyone fired there becomes a national news story right it's because have you seen ralph breaks the internet no i haven't i want to ask you about that sec but really quickly man yeah um uh so wait i I just wanted to make the point about uh golden era tv yeah you know if you're if you're they're buying up theaters sir disney's buying up theaters and people are like "Uh oh disney's buying the theaters i'm like hey guys look at the top 10 list for 2018 eight of them are disney Disney. movies and it's all disney yeah but but they're not happy with the viewer experience because it's dirty smelly the the lighting is bad the sound is bad they're not they want people to experience these movies better and that's why more people are waiting to see movies like solo on their 4k you know 60 inch television And, and smiley i can't blame them and the thing that the, the 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 problem is that I think is this is a very Apple move. I'd have no inside knowledge, but Smiley, what does Netflix cost a month? Like twelve ninety nine, something like that. Like less seven ninety nine, eight ninety nine. When Disney Plus comes out with all these new Star Wars shows, all of these new um, uh, Marvel shows with great characters, I and mean, we're getting Tom Hiddleston as Loki, Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch, and, and Paul Bettany in their own show. I mean, it, everything is amazing. Plus all the old Disney classics to show your kids and your nephews and your nieces and grandkids kids and so forth i bet you disney's gonna price that like 6.99 and just fuck everyone in the ass because every family in the country that has kids from zero to 12 years old will be like okay we're getting disney and one thing one other thing because they have movies that people didn't even realize they have and for all of the sketches, it's tough though yeah. because I love you know. I want to ask you about I mean, Ralph though because Sarah Silverman not only is the, one of the main voices in Ralph, but she's like a creative executive producer there. And e- even though they fired people on both the right and so left Ga- for being Gal controversial, Gal well, Gal Gadot everyone loves, but Sarah Silverman, you know, a, a lot of men have been fired for saying things less offensive than things Sarah Silverman have. They seem to yeah, not, sh- not care whatsoever about it, and they, they've embraced her and made her like one of their permanent Disney princesses. So I. I gotta love it i didn't see ralph though go ahead buddy um yeah i haven't seen ralph either but i'm really excited i've heard it's awesome i've heard it's a fuck i think it's one of those like you know it's not those movies where the adults are loving it is just as much you know just as much as the kids and also i think it's made what 150 million dollars or something yeah unfortunately Uh, (laughs) fantastic beasts uh creed and ralph have all cannibalized one another a tiny bit um but they're all doing very well um i I thought creed 2 was going to blow away creed 1 money wise domestically it's performing pretty well 
Um, but uh, what's well, a hundred million? Yeah, it's like 120. They haven't done a full worldwide release yet. I also haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, but yeah. I really want to. That's that's a that's a stay at home winter night that, movie for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but okay, man. So uh, a couple quick hit questions, and then I want to get into the speaking world because we've we don't get to catch up enough, and we certainly generally just like to talk about personal stuff as as good friends generally do uh, in the time that we do. So I'm very interested to the answer to these. But I have to ask you a couple more questions. Um, so first of all, okay, well, let me just say it. Let's just wrap the Star Wars up. So favorite of the four new movies. So in reverse order, you've got Solo, Last Jedi, Rogue One, and The Force Awakens. Jeez, that's tough. All, I liked all of them. Uh, look, I have to say, when Force Awakens came out. Oh, yeah. Boom. No. And and when I sat through, when I watched that yeah. in the theater, yep. just my inner child and my childhood self watching that movie and experiencing, which basically was just a continuation of the trilogy. Yep. Let's be honest. Yep. Like the 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 immediate joy and satisfaction I got from watching that of being like, this is amazing. I'm like the aesthetic, the jokes, the the script. Uh, I have to say that just the, that that was a. a out of body experience. It was so fucking cool just to be like, they, they nailed it. Right. Yep. Um, so that, that gets like an, and they're coming back. JJ Abrams doing episode nine. So we're happy about that. JJ Abrams killed it. Like that. I don't know if that gets number one, but it gets like the special, just like most enjoyable, like, which is why it made $2 billion, got the best reviews Uh, and so on and so on. And then I probably go rogue one. Then last Jedi, uh, then then Rogue One, then La- then Solo, then yeah. Last Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. That's the... So I, yeah. That For- Force Awakens, Rogue One, Solo, uh, Last Jedi. I did like Last Jedi, but... Um, yeah, it fades I, I with thought, time. It definitely fades with time for me. Yeah, on the on on repeat viewing. I mean, I you will. listen to my earliest Last Jedi podcast. I loved it, raved about it, defended it. it over time, little nitpicks became bigger nitpicks, and just the flow of it, I just can't get into. Um, it feels the most like a prequel movie in the, of all the new movies, just in terms of how weird the pacing is. And certain characters have way too much screen time and other characters like Carrie Fisher should have had way more screen time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't know what to make of that movie. I have Rogue One clearly at the top. Force Awakens, though, is not far down and is amazing. I agree with you. Life experience. But for me, man, seeing Rogue One was more of that feeling because to me, that felt like what I thought seeing like Empire in 1980 as a kid or whatever would have felt yeah, like. That's fair. Yeah. You know, like from the beginning to the end, the way that story builds and you think, you know, where it's going with Vader and the Death Star plans and you have no idea. And it builds, builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. The other movies are all three, five act structure movies, just like the Marvel movies. And I am cool with that. I love that Rogue One is like structureless uh, from a, like a Shakespearean act standpoint, just builds like an orgasm the whole time and just blows up and then blows up and blows up. But I also think it's the best characters, the best actors and the one, 
one time we get a movie smiley because if Solo, yes, is not part of the Skywalker saga, but it's still Han Solo and Lando. So Rogue One remains the only movie with completely different main characters, and yet they're in some ways they're just as memorable uh, as, as the ones we've come to know and love so much. The way I look at it is, it, if you look at the four movies as a film lover and take like pretend you're like you're not a like, huge Star Wars fan and just look at them filmically, it seems indisputable to me that Rogue One is is the most ingenious piece of, of filmmaking but you might disagree with that of the four yeah that, i think i think it's the most unique for sure um and i agree with you that it's it, it, the structure is amazing also it's the way it's shot is so beautiful it's just like a, it's oh, a yeah. it's, it's beautiful movie and, and, uh, and the cinematography i think is in, is incredible I continue to think the Star Wars movies, even though they're sometimes more um, not as expensive and they're making less money at the box office than a lot of the Marvel movies, to me, the Star Wars movies are looking way more consistently good on both the CGI and practical effects compared to the Marvel movies. Thoughts? Oh, definitely. I, can, I mean, you know me. I'm not a big Marvel person. I never have been. I mean, I love, you know, I, I, I appreciate it. I love Black like Panther. Black Panther. Yeah. Yeah. I love Black Panther. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can appreciate Avengers. I can, I love, I can appreciate X-Men. It's just not my, I, it's, I didn't, I don't have as much of a, I just find that there's so many battle scenes and it's just so many, like it, it gets to be, to me, it just becomes like Star Wars. I'm so, I'm always way more invested in the story. I'll just put it like that. Uh, I'm way more invested in the, like the general world and the general story than in a, a traditional Marvel movie where I'm kind of like, oh yeah, whatever. Um, no, and and I think what's interesting the, the battle the scenes yeah. just go on so long and yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's interesting that among the hardcore fans, uh, it's it, it, uh, you know which I interact with a lot more than you. It's completely divided between these two groups. My group, which thinks that a solo and um, Rogue One to varying degrees are the best things that they've done cinematically, and it's not a total coincidence that they're set between the prequels and the original movies, sort of in the original movies time frames, not a coincidence, but also they're just directed by two great directors. And people who prefer the Jedi Force lightsaber stuff, and particularly think Last Jedi is like one of the greatest movies ever made. Early on, I was sort of sympathetic to that. Now it's hard to relate. And I think what was cool was the early trolling days of the anti-SJW people, the Star Wars fans, regardless of our opinions, kind of closed ranks online and pushed a lot of bullies off of online areas, which I didn't think possible, but it happened. But that being said, there's a very civil but real debate between the anthology people, as we're called, who love Solo and, you know, and Rogue One and are excited for the Cassian series and the Jon Favreau Mandalorian series, which takes place during Return of the Jedi, you know, that stuff versus admittedly you know i love the lightsabers and philosophy so it's weird you know that i just think those movies were directed um amazingly um uh, for sure uh but it is interesting the 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 fact that literally every marvel movie makes between 800 and one 800 million 1.4 billion and gets like an 89 to a 93 on rotten tomatoes like one after another i have to think that bubble is going to burst the captain marvel trailer does not look appealing them getting x-men with Fox, I, I don't think really does anything. I think what Star Wars has, man, that we keep saying is not just nostalgia, but continuity over generations, right? Totally. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, you're in the, it's the universe, man. 
It's a literal universe. Yeah, so <laughs> you mentioned earlier you were talking about music as religion. And, uh, you know, Levis jokes, joke that Star Wars is religion. Uh, like, I wouldn't even say the Force is my religion because I, I actually, you know, hold a lot of precepts from religions that the Force is based on. So I'm not going to give Lucas all the credit, even though there's a lot of correlations. Um, but, you know, I think one of the lost messages of Star Wars is that even Luke Skywalker at his peak is tapping into the dark side and not always doing what he's supposed to do and like struggling with tapping into this force, you know, but having your predictions go wrong or, or reading the world and the universe in sort of like, like a wrong way. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and I think that like for what you do, Okay, first of all, you know how Star Wars is obsessed with the Apprentice Master thing on both sides, you know, like, just in general, like, the Padawan, the Master, the Sith Lords, you know, the Emperor and Vader and so forth, blah, blah, blah. So, for people like you, and and I would say for me, to, to, to a strong degree, as both an educator and previously as a music person, we kind of had to train ourselves, like we've had informal mentors and people we've worked with, but I don't think, have you ever had a, a formal mentor? And just to, to, to tie it from the previous section, because I am fascinated by this, like, do you feel at times like you would want a, a mentor, even though you are an educator yourself? Oh, definitely. I mean, I've had people advise me and, and mentor me at various stages, especially with kind of some of the creative stuff with the writing and the speaking, but... Um, not in the same way that you kind of have your, uh, you know, Yoda. I, I, I would li- like, you know, like, I think though, yeah, like you're, you know, every great player, every great, co- every great performer has a, has a coach, right? And mm. you got to have your person, but I, 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 yeah, I need that. I actually think like everyone should have, I think even people that are at the top of their career should have a mentor, have a coach, um, it's hard to it's hard to maintain and stick to it, but I think that that's crucial. Do you advise people? For whatever you do, to? Yeah, I do. I mean, I definitely. I mean, I th- I talk a lot about in the workplace, it kind of about reverse mentorship, co leadership, kind of pairing people that are early talent with people that are older. Um, I think that that's crucial because you. It's not just about like professional growth; it's personal growth. You know, not being able to navigate the various kind of transitions is is how you. You know, like someone's, someone's got to be like who JJ Abrams has got to be mentoring somebody. Someone's got to ment who someone probably mentored JJ Abrams. Yeah. Steven right? Spielberg mentored JJ Abrams. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. It all goes back to Spielberg and, and Lucas. It's pretty amazing. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, but but what makes the Master Apprentice thing work great in the Star Wars movies, man, is that not only is the Master also learning from the Apprentice, but a lot of times the Masters are completely flawed, and the Apprentice learns sort of in spite of certain things. Like I mean, totally. just Luke and Rey in the Last Jedi is the most obvious example. But look at Yoda and Kenobi with Luke in the original movie. Like they keep giving him bad advice or lying to him, and Yoda says, "You must kill Vader. Your training's not complete." And Luke says, "No, I." can still turn him and luke was right you know and so, so even the great wise ones like yoda are, are, are wrong and, and are learning from their apprentices and, and that was why i was so spoiler alert great to see yoda come back in the last jedi i think something that all fans can agree was amazing to see um uh, but, yeah yoda man but i think there's this you know there's this image of the like you know perfect implacable 
you know, indefatigable guru, you know, um, persona and yoga and meditation and things that make people suspicious about those things. You know what I mean? That like, I know the answers. Don't question me because that's how it used to be, but that's not how real relationships work. Right. Um, totally. uh, and, yeah. and great parallel to my business or the, or the world of self-help or whatever you want to call it, whatever the hell it is that I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you what, 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 what do you do <laughs> no but go that's I'm where i'm sorry. trying to lead us so, no i'm sorry i was trying to get us there i'm trying to lead us exactly where you're going so yeah but so I, like you you call yourself an educator do you also consider yourself a mentor yeah and i think it's i think that but i do think that the, the industry that i'm in is especially in with the social in the social media universe is so set on kind of these prescriptions of this is what to do let me show you the way i have it figured out bullshit let me tell you every single person i've met that so quote unquote has it figured out or even has a business doing this or has written however many books or speaking of this they are a mess <laughs> they are an actual mess they don't know what they're doing their relationships in shambles it looks really pretty and they they have a great they're what they're really good at is the perception that they know what they're talking about um the perception of 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 having it figured out the actual um day-to-day figuring out everyone is completely also screwed so yeah i think mentorship is important (laughs) unfortunately Uh, we're at this perilous place in history because humans have faked it till they made it for going back until the beginning of time that's what confidence is unfortunately smiley and so i know there's no that's true yeah i people often actually like that's a big you know one of my in in the talk i gave at ted and in the kind of lessons I do around public speaking, a lot of the hiccups people have, a lot of the kind of like uh, block, whatever you want to call it, blockages, fears, yep. um, you know, barriers for people to be like, how do, how do I really barriers. do this? It, they, yep. they're, they're waiting for someone to say, okay, you're ready, you're certified, uh, you have the experience, um, you've done the work, you're ready, you're ready, you're ready. You're wa- they're waiting for Yoda to say they're, they're that you've 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 become a jedi you know you you've graduated here's the thing there is none there is none of that <laughs> you know the the people that end up breaking through are the people that are just like all right i'm good i'm I'll, i'm just going to do it and they mess up and they make some mistakes but they just start doing it it's the same thing in you know creating podcast content you know or the show although dude there's look, a look, problem look at, look at pods. In, yeah i mean i mean if, you have to you have you have to put in the work and you have to put in the time but also mm-hmm. the people that end up getting the tv show deal are the people that did the stupid webisode where the sound quality was shit where they were filming on the iphone but it's like okay these these they're really funny like broad city like they're like alana glazer is really funny Abby Jacobson's really funny. They get the TV deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. obviously, they're they're in pros and they're really good at what they do, and they put in a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And one day, they just were like, "Let's go film a silly sitcom about two girls uh, in New York City, and let's do it." Like, that's it, right? So, I think that there is it's a give and take because you have you have to at some point you have to say that you think you're good enough or smart enough or interesting enough or funny enough to just start doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to put in the time and become better. But at the same time, if you don't start at some point, like you're never going to make anything happen. All right, buddy. Well, I really want to jump into it because it's been, I can't believe it's been over two years since you were on solo to talk about how things were going. Now, your first two books, you know, launched the, the speaking part of your career. And then you wrote about the speaking part of the career. Um, 
you know i'm so meta well you, well you know what they say about the who who's my you know my favorite classic rock band the who is that they rocked and then they sang about rocking and then they sang about singing about rocking so i, I love the meta shit man you know meta textual wh- whatever um i will admit I, I i read some of your book and i skimmed as much as possible i've been way behind on my own stuff because i'm i've been trying to write um, I read your other two ones, uh, but would you say, I think I know the answer to this, but like, w- was that in your brain as you were writing the most recent book that it was kind of meta, but like your writing style is so natural and, and, and laid back that it, 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 it never stinks of pretension even a little bit. But as a writer, was that in, in your mind that is like, okay, my, my books led to the career, which is now leading to this book kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting. I think sometimes, you know, uh, as Zeb, Zeb, you know, Zeb, you know, our buddy Zeb often choke yeah. me. Zeb, uh, speaking of speaking, <laughs> yeah. speaking of speaking, and I was most recently. That's funny. Speaking. Glad you enjoyed speaking. it. Yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> speaking but, of speaking to speakers. Um, yeah, I make fun of myself a little bit about it. I mean, I'm I'm self-aware about it. But here's the thing. I do think that there is. Uh, a big market for highly practical stuff where people are really looking for writing and content that's about how to do something. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, we mentioned the rise of podcasts, you know, I'm sure there's a whole industry now about helping people launch podcasts. There's probably podcasts about launching podcasts. Um, but what better medium to learn how to do a podcast on than a podcast? So on on the one hand, yeah, yeah, as I think as, uh, you know, people are like, well, are you going to do the 30 something breakthrough or are you going to write about? And I'm like, yeah, maybe I will. Right. Maybe I'll write the midlife crisis book. Maybe I will. Uh, Yeah. And maybe I will. I mean, I think the key is, you know, you, you can't make it about, okay, here's how to be me. That's not what I write about, but it's more of, if I feel like I've learned something, if I feel like I have something to share, again, getting back to the education piece, then I want to teach it, right? Um, I always tell people to write about the things they're getting hit up on the most. Like whatever the questions people hit you up on for, you know, to ask ask you all the time. Yep. You know, if you're that person that someone's like, oh, I need dating advice or I need relationship advice or I need you to help me with my my computer or I need, you know, tell me how to do this, whatever that thing is, tell me how to grill or cook or whatever. Like you, that's what you should be writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's clearly that people see you as an expert in that space and they're asking you the same questions and you're probably giving the same answer over and over again. So you're refining and fine tuning exactly what you want to be saying. Mm. Can I so ask you're almost you- writing you're it? You're almost writing it as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, you know, um, I'd be curious, you know, ex- how did you start Bizzlecast or, you know, what, what, tell me about world music or tell me about, um, you know, how, how to make a, a studio, a studio movie that's, that doesn't suck. That's awesome. Right. There's these types of questions, Talk right? To Kathleen Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. How to run a movie studio. I mean, that's, um, it's not easy to do. Can I ask you a series of challenging cultural and philosophical questions around this topic that aren't directly um, in any way sort of challenging your book necessarily, but is maybe challenging some of the ideas, um, but in the wider context? You'll see what I mean. Yeah. I'll give you a couple of these. Okay. Go. 
I think it's great that we have a meaningful self-help coaching, whatever you want to call it, industry out there. But I think we need a communal, a communal help industry as well. And I want to ask you if you think that with all these coaching and all these big ideas about people internalizing um, and realizing themselves and, you know, and, and actualizing and blah, 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 that without a more um, extremely foundational communal support component in these societies, including our own, that none of this is going to amount to anything but political and environmental destruction, which is what I'm seeing right now. I think it's a great question. I um, I think it's both. I, I think it's a. I think it's both. I think you can't really get to a place where people can actually come together if they haven't done some some bit of personal work or personal um, growth, uh, because then they'll just get in a room with full of people and 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 not know how to talk to them or not know how to how to interact. But I agree. I think that the business um, and the emphasis is for so long has been on self-care, self-love, self-growth, self-development, uh, self-actualization. And you wonder why people are, don't vote. They're weary. Of, they're not, they don't want to, you know, put their money towards the, the common good. They don't want to spend money on taxes. They don't want to, uh, in, you know, believe in local government or even domestic government. Um, and we're seeing kind of a much more return to the, you know, um, every every man woman and child out for themselves which is and that's not going anywhere good anytime fast right and, and that's I what think i'm saying right. i'm correct. saying opposite correct. of that correct. Yeah. correct correct with the environment yeah uh yeah no i think you're right i think we definitely need to talk more about how do we want to live as a society um i guess my bigger question is that Given all of the industries, the you know the, the industry of pleasure and entertainment is another an example of this. We spend so much time around ourselves that even if we do some humanitarian work, it's still ultimately about me, 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 and you know that that concerns me. It, it also, I think, is philosophically untrue that you can ever become self-actualized in a non, at least partially communal society. Uh, you know, I mean, the existentialists certainly felt like you could, you could fully self-actualize regardless of other people and other circumstances. I don't believe that whatsoever. And you just have to look to the ecology to see that that's indeed the case. Um, and that's why I love the Martian, by the way, man, it's like the most non-socialist, everybody working together movie of all time, you know, um, because people are striving for the human spirit, but they know they can't be fully actualized. Even Matt Damon without the help of, of other people, you you know, and humbling oneself and working as a team. And this is a problem in, I'm sure you've read these articles, man, in Silicon Valley and throughout California and the tech industry totally. right now, where you have all of these mavericks who self-actualized at 25, made a bazillion dollars, and now are really lost in their 30s and 40s and are terrible leaders of their spectacular companies, right? And so... I think that's spot on. Yeah. So that that's my theory. And I didn't realize that until I lived abroad in Africa. You've had similar abroad experiences in different places. But when I came back from Botswana, I was like, wow, those people are better people than me. And they're poor as shit. And I am spoiled and feel horribly guilty. But also they do have something I don't have, which is like this, you know, village or even city sized uh, or country sized a social safety net. You know, it's not even formalized. It's just been around forever, you know? And of course, that's eroding with capitalism, industrialization, and so forth, but it was still there with some of the families I stayed with. And, you know, that really changed how I thought about shit, man. 
And, you know, that's what ultimately pissed me off about the, some of the activists at Wesleyan, dude, and it continues to piss me off about liberal activists, is it's all about me, you know? It's like, I have to get the credit, or, like, has to be around my look or my image, like, in this hypocritical view that, I mean, it's like, no, it's not about you. It's it's specifically about everybody else. It's not about you. Um, and, you know, <laughs> that's why it's tying in again. I love Star Wars. Star Wars is specifically about, it's, it's like, look at Rogue One. It's it's about doing something right for everybody else other than yourself, and then you do right by yourself, as opposed to starting with yourself and then negotiating. You know, uh, increasingly awkward. You know, social um, socializing in this country. I mean, I don't know, dude. I wanted to ask you this earlier. When you go abroad, just in general, but you've been traveling a lot, you must feel it outside of Western, Northern Europe, and North America, right? The rest of the world is just warmer uh, in general, whether you're in Southern Europe or the Middle East or anywhere in Asia or in Africa or South America, people are warmer and they're more open and and so forth. Yeah, I think you're making great points. I think that That um, I apologize. Yeah, no, it's I think it's a great point. I think that, um, yes, people are more likely to invite you into their home. People want to cook for you. People want to show you around. There's much more of a sense of a communal spirit. Um, I mean, broadly speaking, outside of the united states mm-hmm. um i will say though that i think the effect of social media on this is that the social media and technology have really had a um negative impact are, are kind of contributing to what it is you're talking about in terms of this kind of and this is international as well not just in the u.s but this kind of never-ending highlight reel of you know one's life one's opinions one's whoever whatever the fuck um, I just think that it's it, people's brains have been rewired to not to 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 be thinking about the world insofar as it relates to your own accomplishments, highlights, thoughts, whatever. Not about how what is the state of the world for the state of the world's sake. Does that make sense? You know, and mm-hmm. it's and I think it's and I think that that's something that we have to be really aware of. And I'm uh, I worry about that. I mean, I I have a whole thing. I'm millennials. You know for my first book about not being the me, me, me generation kind of fighting against that stereotype because it's pretty, pretty rampant, but you know, sometimes I'm not so sure. (laughs) Um, I think that there is a lot of me, me, me. I think there is a lot of, um, you know, I accomplished this or I'm doing this, check me out, check out, you know, a good idea suddenly becomes, you know, someone's idea and someone's monetizing it and they're going to get the credit for it. And that's, what's important. Not that like, actually, Oh, I just wanted to draw attention to this because it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I worry, man. I worry very much for the state of the youth. Um, especially even younger kids, like unlike us, we grew up, you know, without cell phones, which I think I'm so grateful for that, by the way. We're just on the cusp of, you know, being completely technologically proficient. We know everything. We grew up with it all. But we also, you know, didn't we knew a world where screens weren't at our fingertips every second. Right. That's the world we grew up in until we were teenagers. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, makes a fundamental difference in your in your development Mm -hmm. and your 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 educational development uh, of, of, of kind of being able to see the deeper purpose, the deeper shared connections of humanity um, what really matters that kind of, uni- you know, getting back to star Wars, the, the, the universal force, so to speak, um, which is not a fucking highlight reel or some sort of dopamine en- enhanced, 
um, you know, feedback loop. Well, the problem is even like in Tahrir Square in 2011, when it seems like social media is doing something amazing, it then turns into horribleness only, almost immediately again because of post-colonialism, yeah. essentially, and the cowardice of, of, our, uh, of clean hands. This is the thing. Everyone's like, oh, let's not get involved in these countries. Look what happens when we, get invo- when we don't get involved and when we get involved. I mean, it, doesn't, it never works out, you know, either way. Uh, but, I, but I said earlier... Earlier, man, I wanted to, to, to go back to this and expand on it, which was when you go to youth, uh, with each new generation around the world, my experience is there's more and more similarities because of the internet. So that is a good thing. Um, and just shared information and stuff. Uh, the age that, the ages that you're generally speaking towards, do you experience the American immaturity that I've always believed where Americans always seem like five or 10 years less mature than their counterparts elsewhere around the world for the most part has been my experience, especially in, in, in late teens and early twenties? Or do you find by the time that these, you know, you're, they're in mid to late twenties, you're seeing similar maturity levels uh, uh, around the world in, in your audiences, if you can even assess that. Yeah, it's hard to assess. I'd say that everyone seems smarter. I will say that. I mean, every young people today, I'm, I am often shocked when they tell me that they're 21, 22, because I'm, I am just like, they seem, they're so, they're whip smart. I think they're digesting content at a level that's unprecedented. Um, but I think that they have less interpersonal skills, um, less kind of basic human interaction skills. Um, but I think that they're, they, they're on, a, on some levels, they are, their brains are moving faster than ever before. Hmm. Um, in terms of Americans versus the outside world, um, I've always thought that Americans are slower and stupider than, than people from other countries. But, uh, that's a broad generalization. There's brilliant people, obviously, that we know that are in this country. But I always, I just think that people from other parts of the world have much more, wholesome and inspiring views of what matters in life. Mm. Um, they move slower. They value family. They value community more. This is again, broad generalizations here. Um, but I've found that almost anywhere I've traveled internationally, I'm like, wow, people are living. They seem to just be happier here. Um, but, uh, obviously it depends where you go and the context always matters. But, um, I don't know. Americans just have a way of being, um, uh, fucking things up basically. <laughs> we're just so provincial. I mean, you know, we're in the other, we're the other hemisphere and it's like, we have nothing to do with anything else going on. Um, and yeah, it's not that I think Americans are dumber. I just think they grow up slower and there's all of these things in place I to like extend <laughs> childhood and extend teenage years, extend your twenties. You know what I mean? There's all these things in place. Uh, you know, by the time, you know, European kids and, and even kids in, you know, like Brazil and, and some African countries hit 18, if they're lucky enough to go on to further education, they're already thinking about what they're doing. As much as I love well, liberal arts education, you know, I graduated when I was 24 from Wesley and I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> totally. I mean, I also think that the expectations are different. I think in many other countries, you would just live with your family. Mm-hmm. So there's not this, ex- you know, no one in many other countries, pressure, you, don't go out yeah. and, you don't go out and buy a house. You can't buy a house. You just, you live with your grandparents and your parents and your cousins and whatever. And, um, but also education is affordable in many places, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not going into debt or spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on, you know, college, then grad school, then whatever. 
um, you know, we have some pretty fucked up systems, I think, in the, in the U.S. of of what we expect from young adults and then ask them to do. And um, I hope, I think, I'm, I anticipate that a lot of those are going to cha- change. I think that the higher ed model in this country is is warped and dated. Um, it's old school, you know? We're, we're kind of living in this old school, new school paradigm where we still have people going through the old school, you know, shoots and ladders of, college and you have to get to into a good school or at least go to a competitive four-year college education and spend Mm -hmm. lots of money in many cases for most people going into debt financial aid and then they're graduating they don't know what they're doing and they're not even qualified for a job so what's the point Mm -hmm. uh it doesn't make any sense and there's not even jobs available so uh for many in many situations or they're not prepared for the jobs that are available so the the system is kind of backwards yeah Uh, yeah yeah, I mean, you know, I, I talk. I've talked a little bit about how since I became a voter, I'm basically a three issue voter: education, environment, and healthcare, and they're all related. And that's why maybe I'm more willing than some to immediately get behind, even if it's not my candidate, whoever you know is most progressive in those areas in particular. I'm definitely going to vote for. And the insane thing is, I think healthcare has taken the most step forward in the last ten years. Which is both astounding, hilarious, and so sad and pathetic at the same time. But the environment and education has gotten so bad compared to healthcare since Obama was in office. I still have state healthcare, you know, but I look at these schools, oh my God, man. They just said it was like the hottest day on record for millions of years. Like, is not a good situation. Does Do environmental issues come up in your talks inevitably about people's lives or do people just keep it mostly about like professional, you know, like day-to-day stuff? Uh, and, and, and yeah, I think, you know, I, I, you know, I've been redoing a little bit recently reading some of the stuff on, on climate change. It's, it's pretty depressing. I think like <laughs> it always, it almost makes me be like, why are we working on and why would anybody be working on yeah. anything other than yeah. saving the planet? You know, yeah. we need the like, Martian people working on the environment. Yeah. Like we need pretty much anyone with any talent. We just need to say, we need to be working on, on mm-hmm. clean energy and, and sustainability and and the environment or we're all gonna die (laughs) like literally the planet will not exist it's not a joke you know Mm -hmm. but obviously no you know with who's in power and you know we have an epa that doesn't believe that the epa should exist Mm -hmm. um which Mm -hmm. is that i think will go down as you know one of the the great travesties of i mean of of many of the trump administration but i think when we look back and say what were the areas where um the world was was irreparably irreparably damaged it's happened it's already we're past uh, it is is those areas i mean it's also frankly it was it's it's uh it's been it's have been happening for years and it's also not just the u.s china's probably the most to blame in this but um you know, it kind of makes you, I, I thought about that a couple of times, like, well, okay, I'm a free, you know, I run my own life. I, I, I work for myself. I run my own business. Mm-hmm. Why I have, I can, I can control my future. Right. Why would mm-hmm. I be, why, why am I doing whatever it is I'm doing yep. as much as it's important? I, I believe in my work and shouldn't I just be doing climate stuff? Cause yeah. what the fuck is the point here? Um, <laughs> why else, you know, like our children are not going to make it or our grandchildren are certainly not going to make it if we don't take this seriously. Um, but I think, you know, I, I don't know. I have you have to be hopeful. I know it's hard to be hopeful uh, in this t- day and age, but um, 
yeah, I think, you know, I think it's not just about Washington, though. I think that you can't. Um, but hope, the problem is the way we define hope, the Christian sense of hope is very passive, but the rebellions are built on hope. Hope is an active form of hope. Like, oh, yeah. so we're not just to, going yeah. to hope things are going to get better. It's like, we are going to have hope, and then we all are going to put our nose to the, pa- to the pavement and work 16 hours a day to save this fucking world. Like, that is hope. Hope is not believe in Jesus Christ or just have a general good sense about things and things will work out. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, you know, like, I here, just here. don't believe in that. I agree. I don't I believe you. in that whatsoever. You know, it needs to be an active, an active form of hope. And that's certainly what you're talking to your, uh, y- your folks about. Um, so, all right, well, let me ask you a couple of quick hit questions and then we'll wrap up on a final section. Um, what are one or two things that we might not know about millennials that, that you find just interesting in, in any way? Oh, I'll tell you one. Yeah. Millennials are not having sex. I have heard this, actually. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, this is a fascinating. Some research just came out. A great piece in The Atlantic. Uh, I think it's called why, um, why Young People Are Not Having Sex. Or uh, here, I have the piece up. Why Are Young People Having So Little Sex? Um, which is really fascinating. You know, you'd think that uh, people are talking about, oh, online dating apps and technology. Everyone's just going out and sleeping with each other and hooking up and whatever. Actually, for a variety of reasons, there's not just one. There's not one factor, but between porn uh porn is one um definitely i think increased isolation and depression is another um i think the apps are actually making people less likely to meet up in person which is ironic but makes a little bit sense a a sense when you think about it Mm -hmm. um young people you know are not are not getting in relationships and they're not having sex which is very very interesting um, and kind of, uh, I think was not what people expected from millennials. I think people thought it was going to go a completely different direction. Um, you know, and Japan is having a crisis now with like no one having children. So, um, this study kind of says that in the U S it's obviously not as bad, not as bad in the rest of the world. It's not as bad as Japan, but it's actually mm-hmm. like bad too. It's like a lot of countries, even like Sweden and Finland Sweden. where people, yeah, places where they're like they pride pride themselves on having a very, you know, healthy sexual culture, very you know, sexually active and you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, culture. The the people seem to be having reporting um, having less sex and being less likely to get in relationships and have children. So hmm. interesting stuff. Um, so that's one. That's that's probably. The I most have so many theories on that topic, but that's a whole podcast. You, so I'm not I'll even going to go there. I'll, I'll send you this piece. It's very well done. It's a it's a long article because it can be a sign of. It, it actually can be a positive sign of evolution, but it also could be a sign as as you pointed out, depression, isolation, shame, even I mean, porn has just ruined our entire generation on sex. Um, you know what I mean, uh, or threatens to, I should say. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting, man. Uh, it's I had heard that that makes sense. It's interesting to hear that confirmed. Very interesting. Yeah, I think it's um, I don't know. It's like this kind of illusion of, of everything. People, yeah, the phone. I think is yeah the, the device, digital devices. Man, people are spending too much time on devices. Yeah, not the, enough time in person. The problem is our brains are so sensitive that even twenty to thirty minutes a day is too much, and so. We're so far past the bar of too much that, like, 
But what I'm saying is, even if we could cut it down to 30 minutes a day, it would still be a lot for our brains to handle. Adults and right. kids. Um, you know, it's not just kids. We're totally addicted to screens. Um, phones are just the worst uh, at it, um, for sure. Do you ever call anyone out, like, uh, in the audience or anything with the cell phone? No, I learned very early on in my speaking career. Never. Yeah, the, audience, the audience can heckle you, but you can never heckle the audience. You start going in that direction. I mean, maybe Dave Chappelle can because he's just good. Yeah, no, but you actually, can't. Even you Dave can't. Chappelle can't. Like, you saw what happens. You see what happens. Uh, yeah. You, you just, you don't talk back to the audience. I mean, the most I will do is, hey, hey if you don't mind putting away your phone, uh, putting away your laptop. Uh, I find it distracting. I might say that, but even then that you kind of lose someone's immediately, they've lost you. They disrespect you. Um, you come off as a no, you know, you have to be very careful. Uh, so I just realized it's better to just let it go and try to win them over by being interesting than to be snappy. Um, that's a great philosophy for life in general. <laughs> yeah, no, true. Yeah. I mean, that I think is kind of a, a important philosophy. Now I've seen this, you know, play out now a lot in this, uh, you know, the, not just activist circles, but kind of generally, you know, the, the social media, he said, she said, or disagreement stuff. Mm -hmm. Everyone is so convinced on getting everyone to jump on their, on their ship or to win over an argument that right. they're right. Right. It's not about that. It's about getting to a better place as a human, you know, as what we were talking about as humanity. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, we've lost track of that, you know, um, we've lost track of the ability to kind of debate with grace or to disagree with mm -hmm. grace or to kind of, um, I don't know, just say like, Hey, I, I don't, I, this is what I'm thinking. I see where you're coming from. I disagree, mm -hmm. but take a look at this, take a look at this and have a great day. I'll see you soon. <laughs> Like without yeah. being like worst mother, like you're a piece of shit that, 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 that yeah. you know, like immediately yeah. go into like hyper mode when someone doesn't like a hundred percent agree. It's like, when have people a hundred percent agree? Like that's not the point. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. But well, yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, unfortunately we're in such a pickle in 2018 that, uh, simply just do no evil isn't a good enough life philosophy at the, like, like we keep saying, like we need people to also be active, which involves getting your hands dirty and occasionally being wrong about something. But like, we need yeah. to stop telling kids that it's better to do nothing than to have a 5% chance of, you know, doing the wrong thing or something. You know what I mean? And like, right not all people are capable of this and that's why different people are, you know, are good for different jobs. But the, the it, it's like, it's like our society is taking risks in all of the sort of, you know, corporate ways, but like none of the like real ways that matter, you know, like what if we socialized our education system tomorrow and threw all our best people and money at it and just see what happens, you know, like that would be a bold experiment. But unfortunately the government doesn't seem to have the power or will to do anything close to that. What's Whatsoever, um, especially with the current administration. But do you know what I mean? Like innovating is great, but I think the fact that Steve Jobs is held up to be like a god is, is problematic on so many levels, even though, you know, I love my Apple products and so forth. But like he was a really not particularly good human being. And the people who are responsible for the things we love about Apple are 99% not Steve Jobs. 
um, is crucial as he is. One percent is still a huge part, right, buddy? But you know, but you know, it, like th- that's fine. That's the thing I do respect about guys like Bill Gates is they have no desire for wealth or fame, and it just accrues to them. But they don't really seek it out from sort of an egotistical standpoint, I guess. But they also have trouble running their companies. Um, do you feel? Uh, I think we talked about this on the last podcast. Like a couple more questions for you. Can you tell when it's a? I mean. I guess you know ahead of time, right? If it's a more of a corporate audience or more of an independent audience, I guess. Um, like in terms of who's there in in, in, in mass. Well, I know it's based on the client of who's going to, you know, like what kind of audience right. is going to be based on the room I'm speaking to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that your point is super well taken about the making a mistake. I think, again, um, you have, yeah, you have to be willing to get your hands dirty. You have to say the wrong thing, right? It's, it, you have to be able to kind of be, ah, I made a mistake. That wasn't the right thing. Or, mm-hmm. um, I was right about five things I said and two were wrong and I'm, and I'll course correct rather than not saying anything at all, or just kind of towing the line or being playing it safe. Um, I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that that is a great, a great lesson, a great takeaway for people. Um, you know, pe- we we need more people playing in the sandbox. Yes, uh, and yes, and I strongly believe there are so many talented people that are in the corporate world because the pay gap is so insanely different, and they're just trying to support a family or future family. I think if you offer a quarter the money of some of these mid-level jobs to do like th- things like run schools and hospitals, we could get so much talent. I'm not saying I don't love the people involved with schools and hospitals. We just don't have enough to support the population, and we need some of that energy and I, you know, ideology. You know, I have a I have a friend of mine who is an ex-girlfriend who's not just a friend who's you know a nurse, um, and she is like she should be the one running things, but it's all older administrators who don't want anything to change but you know but she doesn't want to do but she doesn't even want to do that work because there's no more pay and it's just more hours and so the same it's like with teachers you know same people t- stay in place that the whole bureaucratic system just keeps reproducing itself um would you agree though that there is like there, there, there's a way forward where we just need to could start pulling some of the corporate talent and brains into um not not just nasa but you know earth sciences and, and stuff that we've been talking about Totally. I think that that's a pharmaceuticals great pharmaceuticals I mean, into. Oh, I med- was going yeah. to tell you this. Um, uh, the dean of the senior class at Wesleyan University. Um, you ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> NBD. I, I, I spent a month there one night. You heard of Lin-Manuel Miranda? Uh, yeah, I partied with him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, MGMT. I, I danced to kids in 2003 before it was a recorded, recorded song. Oh, yeah. Um. But uh, she reached out to me. She sent me an email out of the blue saying, hey, I've been following saw, saw your stuff. I'd love for you to come speak to the seniors. Um, that was kind of the end of the email. And I said, hell yeah, let me know. I'm down. You know, I was like, I'll do it for free. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't say that. But I, I'm thinking like, you know, they can get me to Middletown. I would do it just because it'd be so yeah, cool. Totally. But I'm thinking about what it would be like. I would go in instead of doing my normal spiel where I've got my slides and a whole thing. I would I would do it like a commencement speech. I would write a literal commencement speech. I'd put on the mm-hmm. hat and I'd kind of, and I'd, you know, I was going to be like, what would I say? You know, I started to think about like what, what would be the things, um, 
you know, what would be some of the advice that I would give? And I think I'd be really real. I didn't get this real in my book. I mean, I kind of talk about meaningful work broadly, but also say like, you know, anything can be meaningful. Like, you know, the person, um, it could be meaningful if you're a consultant, it could be meaningful if you're a doctor, it could be meaningful if you're a politician, but I would basically be like, these are the five things you need to do. Don't do these 15 things. Like we don't need someone to go into fucking right. management consulting. Right. We don't need you to build like, you know, most pharmaceutical, like we, 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 here are the things like that you really need to do. We don't need you to go into sales. You know, um, I know that sounds harsh. There's important things that people, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like that. Those jobs aren't, I, I, I never like to judge people's work because it's all nuanced. No, we and just need a thing. rebalancing of numbers. That's it. I mean, yeah, we're we, not we calling for mass need- firings here. We're just talking about motivating some people who are maybe in a job they don't love and are overqualified for from an intellectual standpoint and offer them the incentives and work benefits that they should right. get for being teachers, doctors, nurses, scientists, and so forth. That's all I'm saying. Right. And, and, it's and not that radical. I mean, we yeah. need good people in government. So it's. Um, it's tough to go down that route because you can never tell. Well, I'm a federalist. You know that. I mean, I, I'm, I want a strong federal government b- because if we had one, then the liberals could fucking enforce the elections and stay in power a lot longer. The moment that, you know, the, the government doesn't even have enough teeth to enforce its own elections. It's pathetic. Pathetic. Hillary oh. Clinton won by three million votes. Give me a fucking break. Oh my God! Don't get me started on uh, on um, the state of our our elections. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. What kind of democracy do we live in? Where have you had anyone? I, heck- I live in the yeah, state sorry. of California, and I have as much representation in the Senate as the state of Wyoming. Give me a break. Have you the ever fifth large, yeah. fifth largest economy in the world? The fifth largest economy in the world in California. I know. Right? I know. It's ridiculous. I it's know. absolutely ridiculous. It's it it makes no sense. Nope. Most you know most democratic country in the world. My ass. Like this country is backwards. The gerrymandering, the redlining. It's it's backwards as hell, man. I mean, it is a democracy, and I don't want to sound ungrateful because I think you know you read some stories about places in the other world, the rest of the world, and you do have to be like you know we do get to say whatever we want. Like you can say right now on this podcast whatever you want about the president, whatever you want about and and. Well, at least for now, God willing, nothing, you know, no, uh, the, the Gestapo is not coming to your house, at least not yet. Oh, no, the Gestapo is <laughs> coming to Donald Trump's house. It just hasn't happened yet. Trust me. <laughs> but they're all but, going to jail. It's just a matter yeah, of time. That doesn't mean the U.S. doesn't have a long way to go on. I mean, there's no reason why we shouldn't have a popular vote. There's just no there's no there's no fucking there's no reason. There's no fucking reason why we, why we shouldn't have a popular vote. Why wouldn't we have a popular vote? And for the Senate, too, per state. Popular vote for state Senate. Boom. Done. Right? Yeah, because the 42% of the country that controls things knows that they're the 42%, and so they're scared of the 58%. What kind of country wouldn't you not just have the most, the person that has the most votes wins the election? Mm -hmm. That's how it works. Yep. You know? What do we literally need to like take an entire like at some point it's like let's just move you seven million people or three million people to these three states so that we don't don't die as humanity is that's what it's going to take pretty much uh, I mean it's ridiculous it's an antiquated system it makes no sense I think other people look at our election electoral college and are like what explain that to me how that exists like mm-hmm. how did how has that not changed actually that's the one of my biggest I mean. You know, I obviously I worked on Obama's campaign. I was, you know, I'm full disclosure, full disclosure. (laughs) Um, And I think overall, I think 
you know, he, he accomplished a lot of things. I wish in the first term, uh, in the first two years, even 2008, 2009, he did more around the electoral stuff. Um, I think that that there was a short window there. Of course, healthcare was the priority, but that would have been something, um, in a democratically, uh, controlled Congress that I wish they had taken on seriously. Some of the, the red, uh, the gerrymandering and the, and the electoral college stuff. Because otherwise, it's not going to happen with the Republicans in power. But um, that's just a matter of time. And that's the other thing. I will say this. I we think don't have we've time. Like, we don't have time. We got no time. We got less than no time. We do have less than no time. But hopefully, it's just less than two years at this point. But um, what was I going to say? New York's uh, going to be underwater in 30 years. I mean, there's no two ways yeah. about it. Yeah. I know. No, it's true. We don't have time. But if you put all the best brains on the project, then we figure out a way to survive. Uh, That's where the hope is. But again, it has to be hope followed by activity. You know, it's the old Jewish Old Testament saying, you know, God helps those who help themselves. I think that applies in this situation, right? I hope so, buddy. So do you, so uh, at this point do you find that you are um as, uh, we'll head to the final section with some with non related questions D- do you like do you have to be constantly calibrating between the sort of more general inspirational uh philosophical side and the more you know practical hands on side or at this point can you just sort of feel it out uh, and, and strike a good balance um and uh, you can bring in anything from your book as well to, to talk to talk about that striking that balance. And I'm sure there's other factors as well. Yeah, I mean, I think for the speaking, it really depends on who's in the room, who am I speaking to and why and, and what's the context. Yep. But I think that, you know, personally, um, you know, I, I, I think it's like what I was talking about with the Wesleyan students. I, I get a little bit torn because I do believe that people it's kind of goes back to what we were saying about the self-actualization piece you know, kind of my message is, you know, find meaningful work, do something you really care about, um, you know, and that's going to lead to a fulfilling life. And we need, a, you know, people that are working with purpose, but also just, you don't like, we also kind of, you, you shouldn't really be able to decide, <laughs> um, are you, we're living in a life where everyone gets to decide and it's happiness and passion and fulfillment and the world's kind of burning. So it's a little bit of a like, yeah, you kind of, your work should be meaningful if it's one of these things that's going to save the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, like, pick something else, <laughs> like go back to square one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really ever say that in public audiences because I think it can come off as, it just, mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't get, rec- it's not received very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really hard to then go down that rabbit hole of, you know, well, someone, well, why, why should someone not be able to make pizza? Like make pizza makes me happy. Like that's an important like life goal to make delicious food or to make the best bagels in Brooklyn. Like, I think we need the best bagel shop in Brooklyn. Like who are you, who are you to say that I shouldn't start a bagel business? Which is true. Unless you shouldn't be behind that desk because you're poor and didn't get an education, but your IQ is 180. And so in a better society, we'd move you up the ladder. And, but me, someone like me, I'm smart. I'd be happy running a bagel shop. Like <laughs> the problem is the social mobility isn't there in either direction. Right. And so it's, it's tough. Yeah. It's, it's, you can't, it's a go down that road of like what this and that is, yep. it, you know, is, is tough. I think, yeah, I, I mean, I, I fundamentally believe people should be navigating kind of their own lives and not, you know, following prescriptions from their parents or from society or from whoever. 
But I also think that, you know, especially living in San Francisco, I just see so many people that get trapped in this never ending loop of, am I fulfilled? Um, and like, I'm working on myself. Oh my God, dude, I'm so tired of people working on themselves <laughs> as I, as I very much preach it, the importance of it. And I believe in it and I'm trying to work on myself, but I think it's like enough already. Like, it didn't work. Like you didn't so like, just, yeah, keep meditating, keep doing yoga, keep exercising, right. eat healthy. Right. Um, you know, you use the essential oils and the crystals and whatever you got to do and it, enough already. Like you get a little bit of time and then you go back to work, you know? Like this isn't, you know, fantasy land here. This isn't like you know, my perfect day, you know, universe, it's called fucking life and it's not that easy and there's shit to be done. So like mm-hmm. what do whatever you have to do, but like move the fuck on. I've, I've met, I've been, I've been having conversations with people. I think they've been working on themselves for five years. That's all they do. Yep. <laughs> right. I'm working on myself. I'm trying to figure out my next step. It's like, dude, you've been saying that for four fucking years. Like yep. that's, that's not, you don't get that. I mean, I, you do get that. That that's someone who has a lot of privilege. They very much do get that right, I guess. Or they're have, you know, they don't. They're not worried about money. But I think it's enough already. Like, move on. Like, you know, you'll you'll work yourself out by 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 living and by mm-hmm. being confused and by doing actual shit, not working on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little bit of a too much of that, at least where I live. So I'm going to tie this bow up with another Star Wars reference, and then we're going to move into some uh, non-Star Wars but lighter topics, if that sounds okay with you. Giddy up. Which is one of the themes throughout Star Wars and the movies and the literature and the animated series, which are all excellent, Clone Wars, Rebels, etc., is not just that it's right, it's best to do the right thing for other people, but that you feel the most alive when you're doing it. And so there's actually like a, a positive, selfish, motivating factor that most people just don't realize, which is that for most hu- normal human beings, when you help someone else, even yes. in a small way, things, neurons yes. fire in your brains, which make you feel really good. And Psychologically proven. Uh, Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, one of the best books ever written, by the way. Yep. Victor Frankl, uh, Holocaust survivor. God bless him. Yep. Yeah. And um, and you know, if you look at the three main Star Wars characters, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker in his first movie, Jyn Erso in Rogue One, and De- uh, and Rey in Force Awakens. In all cases, the movie takes place over a four to eight hour period. And the three of them come from various forms of nowhere where they're just operating for themselves or, you know, not doing what they want to do. And they have this amazing experience over four to eight hours that changes themselves and changes everyone else. And then they chase that feeling, right? That's why they're great heroes is that they, when, when they see that there's something more and that something more is sacrificing and helping for other people. Um, you know what I mean? Like that, that should be a pretty easy lesson, but it doesn't seem to be getting taught in our society. I like to see more of, of that. And so, I really appreciate, you know, literature, cinema, and television that does those things. And Star Wars does that extremely well, but a lot of stuff does that well. Um, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan or whatever, or even the Hunger Games, but I'm supportive of the ideas behind those things uh, for, yeah, for the, kids. The collective, the collective good, man, I think is what you're talk, getting at, is the collective good and the sac- self-sacrificing for the good. Mm-hmm. Um, and believing in something more than yourself and believing in service and love and compassion and um a high yeah the higher you know higher power i i i agree i think that that uh is fundamentally lacking in today's society it's also maybe it's lacking in the education piece i think getting tying it all together right like Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, I actually do think that I think that that's the goal of a liberal arts education, right, is mm-hmm. to make you critically understand human similarities, differences, cross-cultural understanding, uh, how to analyze what's happening in the world and what has happened in the world and where to go from and where to go moving forward. But it seems like, I mean, at least from my experience with youth, that um, some of that is not showing up. I will say that that people are really conscious because of, I think one of the benefits of technology, people are really conscious of what's going on, right? They, they know about different problems in the world. They see it all. They, they read the news stories. Mm-hmm. They're connected to friends from all over the world, or at yeah. least if, if not real friends, just people that live in different countries. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes this kind of seem, the, the, I think the diversity piece is important. I think that that's why that pretty much statistically, no matter what, at least in this country, I would think, I would hope, God forbid, mm-hmm. um, past this next election, we at least on a, I, I would think that at least numbers wise, we're going to be just be trending democratic for many, many years to come just on the sheer numbers of, um, you know, this, this country becoming more, uh, more Hispanic, more Spanish speaking, more diverse, more yeah. black, more non-white, um, that there's just no way that, that, that some of these Republican types of people would ever get elected. Um, I would think that that's the case, although in America now you can, don't believe anything you hear you read so which is exactly uh, what the other side says and which is the whole problem is that we say you can't believe anything and they say you can't believe anything so with all of our knowledge truth becomes non-existent it's amazing um yeah truth truth but dude, I, I agree with everything you just said, and I also am in support of the, you know, scratching the critical muscles and liberal arts education, but there is a concern in Western philosophy of going too deconstructive, and that was another concern I had at Wesleyan about the academia, that w- less about the people, more about the academics, was a lot of the classes were so deconstructive that you, you were like, okay, now what? Um, and which is why I ultimately ended up balancing it out with tons of philosophy and religion courses, even if they were deconstructive courses, but just learning about philosophies and religions. And I think you said earlier, we were talking about heckling. And what did you say? You said um, you had that great line. You said, like, I, I'm not going to call someone out and be snarky. I'm going to try and just be better and funnier and engage them. Right. And right. Hope, exactly. Hope. I'm trying to try to woo them, woo them over. Well, that's, with my- that's Taoism, man. That's exactly Taoism. You know, Taoism was criticized for a long time for being a quote unquote passive religion. But what the religion actually, or what the philosophy of Taoism actually says is act in such a way that you're so non-invasive and so non-violent and so in, in, in accord with other people that it feels passive you are being so efficiently active that it, it feels effortless. You know, effortless is a word constant in Taoism and Buddhism. And, you know, it's again with the force and the Jedi, Lucas was drawing from that, but seriously, like that's the Taoist approach, you know, the, the aggressive approach, which I would associate more with like Western, te- you know, would be to, you know, engage with that person or, you know, be more hostile or, or even just try to insert your confidence, stamp your foot down and pound your chest. Right. Which is our president and the people around him is just a lot of chest pounding and not a lot of actually getting things done and what i've loved about obama not since, a lot of listening right but what i've loved about obama since long before he was president um and he was just a guy at the convention was the very sort of 
effortless way with which he accomplished a relatively large amount, you know, um, not, not that we're thrilled with everything, but he did sort of take that sort of, uh, what I would consider like a Taoist, uh, like a sort of practical Taoist approach to things. And if we always act in accord with what's efficient and best for everybody else, then it will come back to us. It's not just karma. It, it's, 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 it's psychology as you pointed out. Um, and it's just the, the practical nature of helping other people and being helped, right? All of a sudden you're less alone and you have a support system and i mean god dude without my amazing family and friends i don't know where i would be honestly i mean i i I, i'm so aware and happy about and thrilled but scared for other people that they don't they don't have those systems and so i think mental health really has to be a major stress in this country with those other things going forward i 100 percent agree with that i think mental health i'm actually speaking just for my yes uh, experience on the work, the work for workforce stuff, but it's becoming a big issue in workplaces as well. You're seeing a lot of companies thinking about having in, you know, in-house therapists and mental health specialists, um, you know, because it's part of people's days, right. And people needing someone to talk to. And traditionally people would have to do those kind of go see a therapist or go get the kind of help outside of work or after work or on the weekends or whenever, take time off. But now it's actually kind of becoming part of the the workplace, which I think is a, is good. I think it's a good trend. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I, I think that the support systems, um, yeah, the more we get to the, the more technologically advanced we get and the more reliant we come on technology, humans need to double down on, on what it means to support each other and connect with each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, I, I'm glad we went super heady with this one. I, I really wanted to. Um, getting heady with heady was certainly fun a few weeks ago, and so I knew I wanted to with you. And we got to do a, a full Ruby crew at some point. Oh, full. yeah. Get Prager on the whole, the whole Prager, thing. Prager, bring yeah. back Dre. But what we should do is when bring I'm in San Francisco, when we're all in San Francisco, we'll, I'll get, I'll bring some cameras and mics and stuff and we'll just do it live. Um, and you know, we'll do, we'll do a, like a video cast and, and a podcast as well with us just sitting around and so forth. Um, cause my That'd new, be amazing. cause my new, like super heavy high tech PC gaming unit, it can render video like crazy. And so I'm getting a little back into video editing as well. So that would be super fun. Um, it's so great to have you on man, but I, I definitely want to end a little bit on a lighter note. So, so really quick, I'm going to leave the forum open. Movies, television, books, music. What have you been consuming uh, either as escapism or as, you know, as non-escapist art or whatever in recent weeks and months that, that you want to share with the Bizzlecast? It can literally be anything. It can be as guilty as, poss- as you want. Okay. Um, I read a great book. I'll start with the heady. I read a great book called Winners Take All. I think you would appreciate it. The The subtitle is The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Mm-hmm. And it's all about how everyone who says they're changing the world is actually really fucking it up. And it's wow, interesting. It's almost yeah. like I said something similar like that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. It, it, it's, it's actually really well done. It's kind mm-hmm. of about um, just how we never, you know, kind of it takes like the, the tech philanthropist as kind of the main bait or the main... Um, kind of villain, but basically kind of saying all these people are throwing money whatsoever, but go ahead. Yeah. Throwing money at different causes without actually questioning. McDonald's and Walmart are way worse than the tech companies. Questioning what they're really doing, like the damage that they're causing in the first place or kind of people that can kind of 
make all this money and then throw it at good causes. But why don't they just like stop making the money in a dubious way in the first place? Um, so it's, it's an interesting book. So that, that, that I highly recommend for anyone who's trying to ex- understand the world today. Uh, TV dude, I've been going old school. I've been watching Friday night lights. Have you ever watched that on NBC? I want to cause of Michael B, but I haven't. Uh, Michael B is, is in the later, later season. It's an incredible show. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, on- I love, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I, it's on, uh, I watch it on, uh, actually on Amazon prime, but, um, I just remember because from 03. Oh my God, it's to, so good. From 03 or 04 to 08, 09, uh, that show and Battlestar Galactica had like the exact same run. Like the number of seasons, the number of episodes, like the flow of the changes in the show. Because I always remember them being grouped together as like the two shows that like not enough people were watching but should be watching. They were both nominated for or won Peabody's and all sorts of like cultural awards and stuff. It's incredible. Like that. Yeah. It's incredible. It's timeless. Because I mean, I, 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 you know, it was, I mean, it's early 2000s. I think the shows, like, yeah, 2003, 2004 to 2009, something like that. Um, it's great. It's about Texas. It's about football, but it's really about like family and high school and adolescence. And I, you know, I love, I love coming of age stories. That's like my favorite, one of my favorite genres. Yeah. Uh, Coming of age stories and origin stories are so overdone and and they're done way too much. But when they're done well, like with Black Panther or Wonder Woman or some of those lesser properties, it's great. But in general, it's tough. Yeah, there's so like so many coming of age stories, but I know that that's one of the best and I got to get to it. And then, um, so that's been, yeah, I, it took me a while. And oh, the one, the other reason that this is amazing, the music is in, all done, or at least the first season. Explosions in the sky. Entirely explosions in the sky. I did know that, so, yes. And it's just like an incredible, com- incredible comparison because you're like when I someone I was like really it's explosions of sky and the movie is about high school football like, I I couldn't picture it yeah. but then you watch it and it's just these incredible characters stories about life and then with this the music every song on that I mean it's explosions in the sky is they, they are one of the best ambient electronic bands I think of all time um, or I I just think that they. They're like, they kind of invented that genre, or at least were part of that kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, uh, what's the, the band that you mentioned early on? Um, um, what's the, no, no, no. Um, with the A. Um, American Dollar. American Dollar. Um, American Dollar. Oh, American Dollar was much later, but yeah. Later, but Explosions in the Sky. Yeah, I love them. Um, so that's been great. I've been just starting to watch Who is America? Sasha Baron Cohen show. Oh, yeah, everyone says oh, to watch that. Yeah, God, dude, he's brilliant. that is brilliant. next level. He is a brilliant yeah, cult- brilliant. cultural uh, satirist and just general. Yeah, he's like, a true philosopher. He's like Chappelle, he Seinfeld, Andy Kaufman, all these guys. Oh my God, though the what he's done. Like I just watched the episode he did on gun on uh, gun violence, and you know what he gets people to say on camera. He has this. It, it's it's it is out there man um but he's a literal genius Mm -hmm. um so that's been so that's been fun i think he Uh, is a literal genius i think it's the correct use of literal i think he's iq is probably like 2000 (laughs) seriously um movies i'm way 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 behind i figure i have you know me i i catch up with things on my flights on on planes and i see everything i also have a really nice television so i watch it on i any um what I'm more right. interested in, because I've been reading a ton these days and watching a lot less of everything, um, any fiction and or nonfiction recommendations? They don't have to even be like immediate, like just in general. 
fiction, I read a book, uh, not that recently, but semi recently called mm-hmm. exit West, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, you know me, I read a lot of like business self-help kind of stuff that, mm-hmm. uh, um, nothing, nothing too, uh, too relevant, but yeah, the, that one's been great. Um, I got the new Murakami book. I'm excited to read that one. Um, Oh, you love Murakami? Always have, baby. Mm -hmm. But um, I rewatched her recently, which was fantastic. I forgot how good it was. So good. Great every time. Oh, my God. It's an incredible movie. Because you think you're going to end up feeling hopeless and lonely, and you don't. It's brilliant. Oh, it's just so beautiful. Oh, my God. I that actually movie. find Lost in Translation harder to rewatch than her, which doesn't make sense on paper. I have seen Lost in Translation in a long time, actually. It used to it's, be one of my Because it's favorites. so tender, it just breaks my heart. It's like you to Mama Tambien, you know? It's so tender. Like, the love uh, is so real it, it, that it's it's almost hard to watch how real it is. Have you seen Roma yet? No, no, but I know it's going to be amazing. Yeah, As I've said, of all of Quaidon's brilliant movies, what's hilarious is the movie he won the Oscar for, Gravity, is easily the least interesting of his movies, and it's still a great movie, but it just shows you how brilliant of a director he is that, in my opinion, his least interesting movie, Gravity, was the one that won him the Oscar, even though he did the best Harry Potter movie, Children of Men, arguably the best dystopia movie of the last 30 years, and, of course, Eat to Mama, so I'm really yeah. excited for Roma. And I want to watch uh, Narcos Mexico just for Diego and uh, Michael Pena. Yeah, exactly. And that's also a completely like you don't. It's a standalone se- season. You don't need. They're to coming really back. Look. They're coming back with another Mexico season, I believe. Nice. Yeah, that's on my list. I'm so happy for Diego Luna, man. I loved Cassian in Rogue One. I know I talk about Felicity Jones and Jenner so constantly, but the reality is Cassian is a character I thought was the most interesting and cool in that movie. And the fact that they got Diego his own series and, you know, going to really have him do some dark stuff, keep him in the, in the universe. Um, he was the one that was like the most Star even though he's Mexican, he's the most Star Wars nerd of that entire cast and was just totally geeked about that whole thing. Um, and so I love him. I'm glad he's getting more roles. I'm really nervous, but excited for Felicity and on the basis of sex, the RBG movie, it's getting mostly decent reviews so far. And I think people really want a good in- liberals want a great piece of inspirational film around Christmas time. So I actually think on the basis of sex is going to do well. Um, I also I think love, well, RBG was th- yeah incredible. Yeah, so. at first I thought that would that would hurt it, but since it's released by the same company and they spaced it out, I think actually it primed people for seeing a dramatized version of it many months later. But we'll, we'll see. We'll have to see. And then we've got um, the other one I'm excited about is uh, Shirley Ronan as Mary Queen of Scots, and um, uh, playing across uh, from Margot Robbie, who is playing Queen Elizabeth. That should be an amazing story in a movie. I hope. Um, and there's lots of indies and foreigns. I have no idea about each December, man. I'm like less and less clued into what the hell's going on. Uh, but uh, not having a Star Wars movie to watch eight times this this Christmas will allow me to go see some more see some more stuff. Um, I've gone back to fantasy, man. I've been reading newer, dark, like darker fantasy because of my writing. I need to catch up. I'd always just read the stuff I read growing up, and you know Tolkien and stuff. 
Um, but I'm reading fantasy set during like the industrial age and, you know, like Neil Gaiman stuff, like steampunk stuff, you know what I mean? Like mixing past, present, future. Um, um, Neil Gaiman is brilliant, dude. Uh, brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, yeah, I don't know. You got anything else on the, on the, on the reading? How, how do you, you just read normal books these days, the printed books? Oh, I'm all about physical books. Yeah. Always yeah. Yeah. So, um, speaking of which, are you, um, thinking about your next book? Are you thinking about the fiction realm? Are you thinking about sticking in, in your current realm? Not gotten that far yet? I'm still playing uh, my goal. I always do a lot of writing around this time of year because I just have less speaking gigs it's slow in the winter. Um, but I'm going to, my goal is to do two things. I want to write a very short book and I mean really short. I just want to get really precise with the mm, words, mm-hmm. kind of an inspiring short book. We've talked about this, the yep. young people not reading, <laughs> like kind of what would it look like for if someone had 30 minutes to pay, to play, to, to kind of flip through and what would the high level of some things I want to say be. Yep. Um, so I'm look, I'm looking at that. And then I also want to, I think I've talked to talk to you about this, writing a YA uh, like a YA type of fiction that's like an allegory that's kind of a kind of a what a modern day version is, of the alchemist would look like yeah which is exactly uh, what I'm doing but more from a fantasy angle but exactly that yeah, yeah. something like that because I think YA is great audience for my type of mm-hmm. stuff um, but YA like shoot- that the key is it's that YA that grown-ups feel comfortable and want to read Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But engaging. Again, something Star Wars, something does great. You know, I talk about Disney didn't buy Star Wars, dude, in spite of the fact that Star Wars is dark. They bought it because Star Wars dark. Disney needed a deep, dark property that was still, yes, family friendly, PG-13, but was much darker than anything else they were doing and much more philosophical and political. It was a very calculated move by Disney. And, you know, let's be honest, Rogue One, Last Jedi, and even Solo at points, very dark for a Disney movie, right? You can almost forget that you're watching a Disney movie but that's the audience man it's like the pg-13 that really earns like pushing r kind of material but a 14 year old can read but a 27 year old can read and a 40 year old can read right that's that's the dream totally that's the dream and you mean you and i still have to write our comedy script which we've been not working on for the last 15 years <laughs> it all went downhill after the falafel we've got the opening line uh, <laughs> it's great to have you on buddy um i'm sure i missed tons of topics um i i, I i'll be honest i pretty much w- i usually have more notes but i knew with you we would have no problem finding two hours of material i appreciate you staying on this long i want to give you time to plug everything but before we do the plugs and say goodbye is there a- anything else you wanted to bring up and talk about here on the Bizzlecast? No, buddy. I think we covered we covered most of it. I'm excited. All right. to- so give tell give give the rundown of what the name of the book, where to get it, and then where they can find you both online and offline. All right. This will all be in the um, copy, obviously. Great. My new book is called The Breakthrough Speaker: yes. How to Build a Public Speaking Career. You can get it on Amazon.com in paperback and Kindle. Hopefully, Audible at some point. At Bizzle. Uh, keeps pushing me. Uh, you can find out more about me at smileypozwalski.com on Twitter and Instagram at what's up smiley. Awesome. Awesome, dude. Um, so, uh, wh- where's your very next trip? I'm sorry if I missed that. Um, kind of pretty much low. I'm staying in SF for a couple of oh, weeks. Cool. Um, just yeah, hanging out and then, uh, back on the road again, late, late January, early February. 
Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And you know what, guys out there? You know, so many of my podcasts are about Star Wars and movies and and properties and stuff like that. I love having friends on and talking about different issues. But Smiley, I think we can agree that whether it's a book, movie, or a professional pursuit, love the thing you love as much as you can and don't shit on other people unless you have really good reason to because it's just going to come back and hurt you ultimately and you're wasting your own breath and your own time, right? I think that's that's I think that's quite true. But haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate. <laughs> oh, you got to see Creed too, man. Oh, it's so good. Can't it's it's so the, the character drama is fantastic. It's it's really. I mean, it totally feels like you just kept press play after a break after the first one. It just goes right into it. It's awesome. Um, so I'm excited for your reaction. Um, and uh, you've seen Black Panther. You've seen Deadpool. You've seen Avengers. Oh, yeah. You've I seen Solo. Too. I saw Deadpool too with you. And Blade Runner uh, twenty forty. Um, that was last year. Um, did you see no, Venom? I, <laughs> I, I, well, I'm just saying I saw Deadpool two two no, with I, you this year, right? But I, it, it was last year's movie. I didn't see Venom. I, uh, whatever, not on my list. Probably. Did you see A Quiet Place? No. Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians. I saw actually over Thanksgiving. Okay. I thought it was overrated. Okay. Besides Aquafina, who was incredible and hilarious, but I thought the movie overall was kind of uh-huh. like cliche. And all right, so Black Panther, Black Panther, Deadpool two, Solo. Of those three, all top ten movies. Which of those is the best blockbuster movie of the year? Black Panther was this year. Uh huh. February. <sighs> You just your favorite. Uh, it doesn't have to be Black, like historically. The I got to say Black Panther just for the yeah. sheer cultural significance of I the agree. movie. And I'm going to watch Solo much more, but I have to give it to Black Panther. Yeah, I think Black Panther for, for sure. Um, just because it's it was so powerful and it was so enjoyable and it was it's so meaningful for everyone and for so yeah. many people. And it was, I mean, it's it was, it's it's immaterial because spoiler alert, Creed Two is going to take my number one spot of blockbuster movies. <laughs> I've already made that public. Whether I do a, a real number one through five of like all movies, including indies, we'll have to see how this month goes. But there's no question, Creed Two is at the top. But that's a very personal choice for me. I, I, I'm not surprised to hear that. And Tessa Thompson <laughs> is an absolute goddess. God bless. Thank you, God, for making people and women like Tessa Thompson. That's all I have to say. And R- Felicia Rashad. Boom. Mrs. Cosby, baby. Fuck Bill. Um, so, all right, dude. Well, this was great. We got to do the Ruby cast uh, to get you back on the East Coast. The Ruby cast. I can't believe I got you to watch fucking Matrix Reloaded beginning to end and you stayed up <laughs> for the whole thing. I, like, I was even falling asleep. It was unbelievable. That was one of the coolest things ever. That was awesome. Oh, the Matrix. So good. So good. So, all right, man. Much love, Smiley. Um, Love you, brother. I love you you too, Uh, Bizzlecast audience. Thank you so much for a great year. Uh, Again, I... Um, I apologize, uh, or at least acknowledge that my, my output's been a little low these last couple months, but you know, people are doing holiday stuff and I got job stuff and other stuff going on and I'm working on lots of plans for new and expanded material, uh, starting in 2019, but worry not, my, uh, Netflix commentaries with Papa Bizzle will continue and which are doing great. And my, all my Star Wars stuff will continue, which always does great. So thank you guys for your support and thank you 
to my Facebook um, supporters who post in our extremely nice civil, mostly guys, some women, but you guys have been incredibly just cool. And even when you disagree strongly online, like no one, I haven't had to ban anyone, I don't think, this year. So thank you guys as well. Find me at bizzlecast.com. I'll take you to, to all my podcasts. Find me on Facebook, Bizzlecast. Thank you, Smiley. Thank you, listeners. May the force be with you. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.